Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 279. We're getting scary close to 300 actually. It's yeah. all, all scary. This is a DC Comics podcast. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up people? Uh, Connor was scheduled to be on this episode and pulled out at the last minute like the shady character he is. Who's Connor? Good question. Good, good question. Uh, I've been asking that many a time on this show. Yeah. Not always referring to the same Connor, admittedly, but... Uh... Uh, I'll do you one better. Why is Connor? <laughs> when is Connor? Where is Connor? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, this is DC Comics Podcast. We get together, we talk about DC Comics. Coming up on this week's show, we have a brand new series from Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn called Robin and Batman. Issue 1, we'll be looking at that. We got Batman the Imposter, Issue 2. We have Wonder Woman 781, which I actually read, by the way. I, I jumped in on... Hey, there you on go. That's a nice surprise. Yeah. Uh, and then Action Comics 1036. And I'm actually realizing that I meant to rearrange these and then forgot to. So they're just in this order right. now. And that's that's how we're doing it. Uh, gotcha. So that's, that's, that's cool. Uh, and then also a couple of Patreon books. Uh, I've been Joker issue 9, which is a new release this week as well. And I've been a little bit late on this one. But Animal Man issue 13 is coming up today as well. So, uh, that is uh, the books that are coming up on today's show. It's a later week, uh, so we'll probably live for a bit of waffling before we get to the books. Um, but have no fear, because there's always a top ten. Well, I just had to go reselect all the comics so I can see what else came out that wasn't just DC. <laughs> Comicsology top ten for the week at the time of recording. Harding, which is a Friday this week, I should mention. It's a day earlier than normal. Yes. Uh, just if that happens to alter things dramatically. Uh, it looks like another Marvel-heavy uh, week in the top 10, but right. we'll have a quick that's peek a good, here. That's a, that's a good hint on what books to look at. <laughs> Alright, go on. Guess what number one. I usually only get, make you guess if it's a DC book, but fine. Since you're, since you're wanting to... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm, I'm checking which Star Wars books came out, but it's not looking like it's a lot. So I'm going to go with the new number one that came out as Venom number one. Uh, no. Damn. In fact, I'm, I'm looking for that. Uh, that, that is like... Yeah, that's, it's in the top ten, but not by much. Shoot. Well, con sorry, then it's got to be the Amazing Spider-Man. It is Amazing Spider-Man issue seventy-eight yeah. is number one uh, at the time of recording. Uh, number two is Excalibur issue twenty-five. Number three is a Star Wars book. It's Star Wars: The High Republic issue eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is uh, Hellions issue seventeen. The next book. Okay, that's a that's a X property. Yeah. Uh, number five is Eternals issue seven. So Marvel took all the top five. That is a little depressing. Yeah. <laughs> as, as a DC podcast, we especially, can't... especially this week because this week had some really solid heavy, not heavy hitters, but had some solid hitters. Yes. Um, see this week. Yes. So Eternals uh, number five, and then number six we do finally come up with some DC Action Comics one thousand thirty six and at number six. Uh, and then Alien issue eight and number seven. Uh, number eight is Wonder Woman issue seven eight one. Number nine is Venom issue one, and number ten is the Joker issue nine. So three DC books in the bottom half of the top five. Not amazing by any stretch. 
but there wasn't a lot of DC books out, admittedly, this week. Um, if you go a little bit further down uh, to 13, you get Imposter Issue 2, uh, and then right after that, the Justice League Last Ride book, and then Robin and Batman, then Batman Urban Legends, and then just uh, no, a couple of spots after that, I Am Batman. So there's a lot of DC in the teens this week. Um, and... Oh, you know, I wonder how this is working out for them because uh, there's a lot more minis, there's a lot more like black label, and and even Robin and Batman's not a black label book, but it's a it's a limited series. So no, but I I didn't realize. So I thought it was gonna be a longer. Like I knew it was a mini, but um, I was like, wow, this is oversized. We're getting like six or seven of these, and I was like, oh no, there's only three. Yeah, which makes three. sense. Yeah, it it does it does. Um, yeah, no, I uh. Yeah, obviously I'd like to see more DC in the, the, the top five, but hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider books and X books and Star Wars books are just selling a lot, I guess, right now. They're, they're... Yeah, and to, to play devil's advocate here, though, like, this is kind of a mishmash of a week where there's not, like, really a flagship. Like, sure, Action Comics is the first, like, Superman, right? I mean, But it's you, never what, been, like, a... What you're saying is, is there's not, not a Batman or a Detective Comics out. Not, not just that, but, like, even, like, Wonder Woman, or there's nothing, like... There's a Wonder even... Woman. But that's what I mean. Wonder Woman's <laughs> not at that, that that level. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain books that are going to push, whether it would be back in the day, Justice League, even a Batman or a Tech or whatever. Um, this week, just kind of, you have Action and Wonder Woman and Joker, and then everything else is kind of like a mishmash. You have Urban Legends, you have Future State... I am Batman, and then the Imposter is a black label. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then I guess there's Black Manta too, but I mean it's Black Manta. Um, it's a mini. So, oh yeah, Black Manta I would never expect to be in the top ten. No, <laughs> it's, it's just not but that like, book. But yeah, so I mean, action showing up at number six is pretty good though. I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Getting that uh, War World train going. Yeah. Uh, there is one small bit of news to tack on to this as well. It's not a big thing, but uh, Justice League Incarnate issues 1 and 2 have both been pushed back a little bit. Uh, not a huge amount, because uh, Justice League Incarnate issue 1 is now scheduled for the 30th of November, meaning that it must have been only pushed back by a week or two, because right. you know, we're already in November, so it's not that mm-hmm. much of a delay. Uh, and then issue 2 has been pushed back to the 21st of December. Issue 3 is still, right now, set for the 4th of January, which is its original date. I mean that that may slip when we get closer, depending on mm-hmm. depending on the reasons why. That said, if this is related to paper shortages, maybe not, or maybe that's just more of a reason why it will get pushed back because mm-hmm. the paper will still be still be in low supply. I don't know, but either way, uh, just a couple of small delays for uh, that mini series. And I, I guess it's easier to delay that because it hasn't started yet. It's like, well, it's not a big deal if that starts a little bit later. Than it was yeah, I just it, it gives me the yips a little bit after his last big justice league book um what happened to odyssey oh sure with him i mean that's so, this is a mini series though at least it's only yeah. maybe six or seven issues yeah you know i know and I, I i'm not projecting any bad thing i just you know as a williamson fan when he does these big galaxy spanning kind of books this one's a multiverse spanning and it gets pushed by a little bit uh it makes me nervous that's all yep yep so uh that is that is basically the news um so it is a bit of a later week so i I think i'll fill in before we get to the books this week uh not dc related but comic book media related uh Uh i watched shang chi uh last night 
I'm going to rewatch that uh, maybe tonight. Uh, I can't imagine why you'd want to rewatch it, honestly. Because uh, I loved it, that's why. <laughs> okay. Like, it was okay in the first half, and the back half was so boring. It was oh, so I dull. Love- I liked it. Uh, like, the over-CG endings with these Marvel movies is, is so tiring at this yes, point. Yes, which I, I stupidly thought of you when that when he gets to the final and the amount <laughs> of CG, going back to the Black Panther review, and, like, I get it, but, like, I had fun with Shang-Chi. I grew up watching Jackie Chan movies, and especially that first half really felt like a Jackie Chan movie. I, and- I, I disagree. I, I think there's, like, one scene that tries to be a Jackie Chan movie, and it kind of ruins it with over-direction and slow motion. There's, like, one great shot on the bus fight where it's, like, outside mm-hmm. the bus tracking from, like, right to left, and you just sort of see him fighting through the window. But there's too many cuts, there's too much, like, over-the-top slow motion moments that it takes... What makes those Jackie Chan movies special, the good Jackie Chan movies, Hi. is that they do a lot as... I mean, it's not winners, but they do a lot in a single take, right? So there's a lot in each shot where you can see it right. really happening. We're- because Jackie wanted make, to make sure that you knew that he was doing it, right? Yes, there wasn't but that, that's what makes it feel, room for stuff. So it makes right. it feel special. I, I only watched Police Story for the first time last, no, this year, right. uh, and it's amazing. Like what? What is that, is that the one where he fell through and, and really hurt himself, and he was out for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a big stunt yeah. where he falls through a bunch of glass or something. Yeah, and he, yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, it, but there's a lot of comedy to it. Where where Shang Chi, I think, takes itself a bit more seriously in the fight scenes. I mean, sure, there's there's one liners yeah. from Aquafina. You know, and things, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why I said it felt like but, a Jackie Chan movie. It wasn't a Jackie Chan movie. Right? It was, but th- you know, so so not only that though, right? So I mentioned the CG. There is some shockingly bad CG in this, but not just the big things that you would think are going to look a bit goofy. There is like some basic stuff that just looks really right at the start of the movie. There's like there's a lot of flashbacks in this movie. There's a flashback mm-hmm. right at the start where Tony Long, who's playing his father, uh, who's a great actor, has been in a lot of good. Uh, uh, films over his de- career Mo- mostly not he, english speaking mostly yeah. uh chinese but he was definitely a that guy because i've seen him in things but i didn't know his name oh he's, um, he's yeah. been in numerous great things yeah uh, and there's, there's even a little bit of the uh i think you call it wushu martial arts uh mm-hmm. towards the start which was okay although it, made, it just made me want to go watch hero again which tony long is in funnily enough uh yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. That's where I, but, I didn't know his name, but I, I was like, he's that guy. I've seen him in movies. So. But there's a there's a shot where he's looking for a mystical place in the jungle, right? And his car or truck is like you know, set over a cliff. And when he looks down at like the, the, the truck hitting, going into the trees at the bottom of this cliff, the trees look so fake. Like, they look like they've got like this smooth texture, like they're out of, like, a video game, like an old video game. And I'm like, why does this look so bad? And then the immediate shot after it is him green-screened against the, the forest behind him. And I'm like, you couldn't have put him in front of some trees? Like, well, why is this a green-screen shot? And why does it look so bad? Why does this look so cartoony? I, I see. I feel like I can't comment because it's been a couple months since <laughs> I've seen. So I can't comment. But on the big screen, I didn't notice any of that stuff the f- the, f- um, the first like five minutes of the movie i'm like noticing like these visual things like sticking out at me they just feel really ugly and unpolished it was weird uh but yeah it isn't really fine uh, but honestly though like i considered like when i started the started the movie i thought oh maybe afterwards i'll record a little review i'll, I'll do like a 30 minutes talking about shang chi and by the time i got halfway through the movie i'm like i can't talk about this movie i can talk about it for five minutes on this podcast because it's just a five minute thing but I just don't give a shit I, about this movie. I like, and I, I like was Simu, so bored. Yeah, I like Simu Liu. Or Simu Liu. 
I can't ever pronounce his his last name. I always I get tripped up. Uh, I liked him a whole lot of Shang Chi. Aquafina didn't annoy me like she has in other things. Um, she is a little bit jokey jokey, uh, but I like the whole dynamic of Shang Chi and his father, um, and the whole representation of the the martial arts aspect of the MCU. Because let's let us not forget how terrible Iron Fist was. And how invested I was into that. Iron Fist being one of my favorite characters. So to see this arena or this section of the MCU be brought to life and it feels appropriate and we're not focusing on business mergers and, and BS, I, I was very, very... I mean, happy. I guess it's a little bit better than Iron Fist, but I didn't like it that much more. Even. <laughs> I don't know. I'd much rather... <laughs> like, again, probably going to watch uh, Shang-Chi tonight. Because it's on Disney Plus I, now. I cannot wait for you to see the Eternals. There's something. There's just something so Oof. bland about these recent Marvel movies. Black Widow and Shang Chi. I just like did nothing for me. And it's not like the ideas are inherently bad. Like I like good wushu movies. I like good mm-hmm. martial arts movies. And hell, I mean, not to get too spoilery, but look, some of the the stuff near the end is kind of about a hellmouth and a Cthulhu like beast. Uh-huh. Like. I should be all over this. And I could not have cared less. The final fight between the good guy and the bad guy takes place against just, like, rocks. It's like this grey rock area. And they've, made, they've went out of their way to have all these colourful, bright, vivid areas and, and, and like these locations that they're in towards the end of the film. And then the final fight is, like, just grey rock behind them. There's, there's no geography. It falls into all the trappings of crappy, generic Hollywood shit I, I just i don't know i'm just oh. better news though matt better news yeah there is hope for predator <laughs> because just today i, I saw which <laughs> did, did our friend dan wish this into existence no we, already knew, we already knew about it like uh, we, we knew okay. dan trachtenberg who did 10 cloverfield lane was working on a predator movie okay. uh, it was working under the code name skulls today we got the official title though which is prey although it's in the old predator font uh, so right. you can sort of rec- it still visually has some recognition and it goes well with Predator obviously Predator and Prey you know the kind of related yeah. words um, but there's also an image right so, so the, we didn't know what the premise was right we had no idea what it was it turns out it's set in the, it's like 300 years in the past and it's like a it's like a female warrior who's protecting her her tribe from the Predator and the image they put out today is just like in the mist and it's this like warrior with a bow and arrow and it's you know it's you know it's like this is pre-guns and everything else and you just see like the predator in the background with the red light, and I'm like, "Holy shit, this actually looks great!" <laughs> From one image and one a simple premise. I'm, I am a much fan of the whole, um, advanced technological aliens versus the you know not even just humans, but like that era pre-industrial revolution era humans. Um, so. This this looks rad. I didn't even see the image. I just saw all the talk. Oh, the image is great. Like it, yeah, I just pulled it up now and who we. I think the thing about Jason, it's not Jason. Sorry, I'm about to compare me Jason, which is why I said Jason. Uh, the thing about the Predator is that much like Jason Voorhees or other slasher villains, uh, you you can kind of keep doing Predator movies as long as you just keep putting them in different settings, different time periods against different types of people. Uh, I think those enough there you just be, be an entertaining film every time um so i'm all for this and i'm kind of excited to see how he fights does he still use his laser blaster when the people he's fighting do not have firearms yeah because like that's the thing with predator too there's a sense of honor like mm-hmm. an honor code 
right and that's what that's what i i've always drawn to you know, you does, know does like, he stick to his spear and he's you know his bladed weapons uh-huh. because he, because of who he's fighting only has access to similar things i mean they do have bows and arrows i don't know how like what he would you know consider oh, yeah, that like you said like he you know the spear dagger like any type of stuff you know is this is this a specialized predator that, that doesn't want to use mm-hmm. you know lasers and whatnot like yeah the other yeah, thing that helps yeah. me about this is i just watched 10 cloverfield lane again a few weeks ago for uh nice. the ace and it holds up uh, yeah. In fact, because we delayed the recording, I had to watch it a sec- like a third time. You know, I had to watch it a second time in the space <laughs> right. of a week. And that second viewing in a week still worked for me. Like, I, I wasn't yeah. bored because I just watched it a week before. So it that, holds up. That sh- yeah, that that tonal shift in the last act, I'll never forget being in the theater. Oh, yeah. That started happening. And it just, I think even some people in the, the audience gasped. And it just made for a great, great, great moment. Um. Yeah, easily the best uh, movie with Cloverfield. In, oh yeah, no question. No and question. It's not even close. It's, uh, it's not close. And even I, I had decent memories of the first one in the theater yeah, when I watched it again for Ace a while ago. It doesn't yeah. really hold up. Yeah. And if anything, like that, all the found footage movies that have came out since that have done nothing but point out all the cliches that are in it. And yeah, technically they weren't cliches yet, but it doesn't change the fact no. that I hate all of them. And, and I give <laughs> I give Matt Reeves in in um. And uh, JJ credit for trying to do something different and whatnot. That kind of hobby death. But even rewatching it after the theater, I didn't feel it held up on the second rewatch. Well, part, you know? part of it's because like the monster himself sucks, right? The monster's yeah, a crappy design. Yeah, because you you want a cool looking monster, and you kind of don't. You don't even get a real good look at it, which I think is kind of. And it doesn't. It doesn't help point. as well the end the lead up because of all the mystery in the marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, people yep. were genuinely speculating it was Cthulhu, right? So right. when it turns out to just be a uh, generic... And admittedly, this was the first, I think, of this design. But the creature in this, and then the creature in Super 8, and then even the... And I love 2014's Godzilla, but the Mutos, which Godzilla fights, are kind of... They're all designed by the same guy. I just watched... Uh, I'm not surprised. He also did the ones from A Quiet Place. And if you look... Yep. Mm, yeah, yeah, they look the same look. Insect-like with all joints and they uh, move all rickety and it, it is creepy but like what's cool about godzilla right is all the different designs you know like angrius was a it was a ankylosaur right like he didn't look like godzilla at all he he was on oh. four four uh legs and and whatever uh, rodan was a pterodactyl right mothra was a moth they were all all these guys look the same and it's not very exciting yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't mind the Mutos in Godzilla, though, because they're the generic... They're, they're basically the jobbers they're for shirts. Godzilla to fight, uh, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, there's just there's kind of this generic design that's plagued movies with monsters in it for the last, like, decade or so. Uh, and, again, it was the first time. But e- even when it came out, I remember thinking the monster was one of the weakest parts of it. It's like, yeah, okay, them running around scared and all that's fine, I... but... The part that always sticks with me is the the scene in the tunnels, and uh, the subway tunnels. I always felt that that was well directed, and could should should come as a surprise. Matt Reeves is a very talented director, as we know from his two Apes movies. Oh no, he is, uh, and that's why I'm excited for. I like, guess the thing I'm excited right. for Prey because of Dan Trachtenberg, and I'm excited for the Batman because of Matt Reeves more than anything. Right. So, uh, but there there were parts that stuck with me. Um, but yeah, with this 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 is very exciting. I threaten my wife with watching Predator at least twice a year. 
She never wants to watch it with me. Um, so, you no. know, it might, might be time to, to dust off the Blu-ray. Bust out and, Predator, and while you're at it, dust off Predator 2, because that's also very much worth watching. I still have not seen Predator 2, and I need to. Oh. Um, yeah. Just recently, I did a top 10 rotten movies for Mail Fuzz yeah. movies. Uh, go check it out. But Predator 2 may have featured on that top 10, so... Uh... Let me see if it's streaming anywhere. Maybe I'll... Maybe instead of watching Shang-Chi... Oh, uh, it's much better than Shang-Chi. Pre- uh, put, put that on the next uh, re-release of Predator 2. Much better than Shang-Chi dash oh, male fuzz. Oh my god, it's on Prime? Alright, well, I'm probably going to stay up late and watch uh, both tonight. Uh, Predator 2 is on Prime, right? As of this nice moment choice. as we record. Come on. Gary Busey, Bill Paxton, Danny Glover, uh, small Adam Baldwin appearance. Like so, So part of the reason why I hadn't seen Predator 2... It was a movie my stepdad was always watching because it was always on cable in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I was just like, he likes us that much. I, there's no way I'm going to like it. This is the same man that, that went out of his way to rewatch the excited editions of Lord of the Rings um, a lot. So I just, whatever he was doing, I didn't want to do. Um, and it, in this case, it bit me. And I've gotten this far in life not seeing Predator 2. Seen every other Predator. Well, not Requiem, which you'd have to pay me good money to see. <laughs> and they were spread Requiem. Um, but yeah, I should, I should re- uh, rectify that. Yes, watch Predator 2. It's a, it's a sound advice for everyone out there. Uh, which one Which one is worse, Pete? Predators or The Predator? I think objectively, The Predator is probably the worst movie. And there's like some really weird things in it. I think I like the ideas and what it's trying to be more than Predators, mm-hmm. but because because Predators is just like it's just like it's okay. It's just okay. I it's like a, I like Predators because it's it's. I feel like it's schlocky by design. It's, it's it just feels it's, very B movie. Uh, yeah, but it's it's not it, it's not exciting B movie. Like it doesn't do enough right, with I anything it's doing. I've only rewatched when it's been on cable the final sequence, which I, I really do like. Um in that one i haven't rewatched really it i probably need to but you know there's a reason for that one you know but but yeah this this though makes me want to revisit them all except for avp requiem which i still haven't seen so i don't, I don't like to keep my ledger clean in that one mm-hmm. uh coming from the man who watches a large amount of bad movies. Some of your choices during the October Thon were very questionable, if I do say so. Yeah, we, we, we've been over this, but I've, I've also watched a lot of good stuff on there. So, no, I wasn't even participating in October Thon. I was just watching horror movies. Most of it because I'm stuck that in quarantine. Is, that is participating in October Thon. That, that's all it takes to be a part yeah, of October Thon. Yeah, but like, I wasn't gaining for points. I had a lot of rewatches in there. I wasn't tracking know? points, but I was still yeah. watching things in October. October Thon. It's like I'm keeping my ledger clean with the Leprechaun movies. Still haven't seen those. Tatel will force you into it at some point. Uh, I'm afraid next time I go over to his house when when we're visiting, he's going to have it ready to go, and I'm not going to be able to tell him no. He's he's, he's going to pretend he's he's going through channels, but he's actually secretly going to the the DVR. I'm going to have to text his wife just to make sure. Like, can you make sure it's a leprechaun-free zone? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, she'll text back, yes, and then, you know, cut to she's tied in a chair, like, gag, and he's he's got her phone in his hand. He's like, ha, 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 Matt's going to watch Leprechaun. Uh, Yeah, how Timmy and Leprechaun. Ugh. 
So yes. So I don't know if he actually likes the things he says he likes. I'll never forget his Hellboy review where he, the new one, he tore it up for an hour and a half, and still gave it like a nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> don't understand him. Well, that's why we love. That's why we love Timmy. Uh, yes. Yes. Shang-Chi, bland, boring. Uh, I cannot wait for you to. There's nothing about my thoughts about the Eternals. If you want, you can go to my Twitter feed. I can't wait for Pete to watch it in a couple months just to I'm, see. Honestly, just to see. like my, my, the, what I felt at the end of Shang-Chi was I don't want to watch any Marvel movies for a while. So we'll see if I'm in the mood when it hits. But we'll see. It's uh. Because it's not like I've liked most of the, the shows this year either, so I, I've been no. in a really muddy place with all this MCU No, stuff. I know, and that's why I'm not trying to persuade you, you know, or anything. I just, from what you're saying, I think there's certain things in the Eternals that are much more your speed, and then there's other things that you're mm. going to be like, why the hell is this two hours and 37 minutes? <laughs> you know? Like, I, I shit you not, there was a moment in Shang-Chi when I was like, okay, I'm starting to get bored. Like, I checked the runtime thinking, oh, maybe I've got half an hour left, and I had a full hour of its two hour, just over two hour runtime. I'm like, oh my god, there's a full hour that's left. For for the people listening, I, I enjoyed Shang-Chi. Uh, fun, fun, fun time I had. I thought I did get in an argument with my friend over, he goes, you just, I think you just like it because you like going back to the movies and seeing a Marvel movie. You go, you might be right, but it was it was a good time. I didn't feel like that coming out of uh, Black Widow, um, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I just uh, superhero movies are starting to feel a little bit. I don't know. They need some sauce. They need some space. And, and I, I, yeah, I can't even rely on on Warner's with DC because most of the stuff that's coming out makes me not want to watch any of those. So it's like. Eh. I guess I'll just stick to the boys. That that hasn't let me down yet. The um, boys, yeah, the boys is yeah. great. <laughs> but when it comes to superhero, and I, and I do like, uh, unlike Pete, I do majority like the the uh, Disney Plus shows from from uh, Marvel. So mm. you know, I have those still to go from. But, but yeah, hearing a a dark version of Green Lantern on HBO Max is on its way. Oh, I'm that's right. Yeah, that was this past week or so. Uh, yeah, apparently, it's going to be... Please. The Green Lantern show is going to be darker than originally planned. I'm like, what? That's Green Lantern. What, like, how dark do you want it to be? The brightest day is in the, the oath. Don't get me wrong. It shouldn't be as hopeful as Superman. I'm not saying it should be. No. It's, it's definitely more, I guess, the, normal? You know, more... <laughs> how they were selling it, it made it sound like it was going to be this gritty crop cop drama like the shield in space and i was like <laughs> i don't want that give me just give me how jordan or kyle rayner or john stewart i don't care preferably guy gardner but we know that's never gonna happen just out there doing space cop stuff i don't need it to be gritty and underhanded and it's you know, so, like, what's so funny about it is that like they did the whole goofy like fantastic four 2000s-esque mm-hmm. movie with uh mm-hmm. you know ryan reynolds right that's what that basically was it was the 2005 yeah. Fantastic Four tone in Green Lantern. Yeah. And because that was such a you know failure and everyone hated it, uh, they're going, they're, they're so scared to like be even remotely close to it that they're going so far in the opposite direction. It's like, you know, there's a happy medium here. There's a, yeah. there's a, there's a place in the middle that's the right tone. Right. right. Like, we, like, hire the right person. I'm sure it's fine. Like, James Gunn hits that balance well with the, pro- uh, the uh, uh, products he chooses to do, right? Like, Mm. Guardians fits his tone well. 
Suicide Squad fits this tone well. And I just... Not everyone that works over with Warner Brothers is, is a James Gunn. And I sometimes I feel like they're trying to fit a niche. And I'm just... As, as a fan of, of the comics, I'm just like, well, I guess I'm not going to watch this. You know? Uh, I'll, I'll just watch Stargirl because that has the tone I'm kind of looking for. You know, it can be dark sometimes. It can, you know, be the light and fun sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't want Green Lantern's version of Titans. Or Titans version <laughs> of Green Lantern. Right? Like, I can't miss me with that. I'm just... <laughs> like, what's, what's the, the version of, like, F Batman going to be in that? Like... Uh, uh, F, F Salak? Uh, the Guardians? Know. It's F the Guardians is what it is. Yeah. Or it'll be one of the other Green Lanterns saying F. Guy Gardner. Yeah, I mean, but that's very on-brand, though. Like, that's not like, hey, they're being edgy. It's like, no, F that guy. Uh, yeah, Nobody true. likes Guy Gardner. True. You know? Um, no. Yeah, does this mean it's going to be like a hard R rating? As well? Like, you know, they're going to be dropping F-bombs and... I hope like... not, because there's, there's a time and place to it. A hard R Sinestro core, like, done in the style of, of Saving Private Ryan, the opening scene, not before it gets saccharine and... And, and at the end, like yes, that fits. But like, I don't need Hal Jordan swearing up a storm, you know. <laughs> Blackest night and brightest effing day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a brightest day and blackest effing night. Uh, uh, I just yeah. want to know who's who's making the decisions over there, and just to tell them, please stop. Oh, just please stop. I may have. That that said, I also get to watch him. Man and Lois, and from what I've heard, I'm I'm gonna like it. I mean, I've seen one and a half episodes. It, that's not it's yeah. mostly good stuff. It's surprisingly solid. Yeah. Uh, so once once I get up with uh, Star Girl, I'm I'm gonna go to that one. Can so. they keep up the quality with season two? Remains to be seen, but it's premiering, yes. I believe, in I think there's a date in January for season two. So oh nice. Uh, so that's interesting. But hey, all right, let's talk about comics then. We got yes. comics to talk about. Um. All right, Robin and Batman issue one. Jeff Lemire writing, Dustin Wynn on the R, and I didn't actually realize this was oversized when I picked my story. I, uh, I didn't either because I got this digitally, and so you don't have the yeah the, thick, the feel thick, of it, the thickness. Nah. Um, was so what's funny is I didn't even realize really until I finished it and then checked. I was like, oh shit, that was forty pages, <laughs> and which well, is a compliment yeah. because it it flowed so quick that I never felt it. The only reason I felt it is because I was trying to read it on a break and didn't realize it was oversized. So I had allowed myself time to read. And as I was getting done with it, as my break was coming to an end, I was like, how much more do I have to go? And I was still only on like page 30. So I had to come mm. back to it. But again, that's not the quality. I wasn't like, oh, when is this going to be done? Because um, it does a lot of fun stuff that I was, to be honest, like I, I like Lemire a lot and I like Win a lot. They're, they're a good team. I don't know how many more Robin origin kind of stories I need. It's almost up there with Batman origins. However, this team, I think, judging from how this ended, I think they have a unique take on on Dick Grayson that uh, I, I'm, I definitely can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, yeah, what's interesting about this, so it's obviously it's from Robin's perspective more than Batman's, and it's very much a Dick Grayson who's just training to be Robin, has just signed up to be Robin uh, in the months following the death of his parents. And what's interesting about this is that this very much wants to explore 
the psychology of what it's like for him being indoctrinated into Batman's world and what it's like for him trying to fit into it and his own personal journey of like how do I become like him do I want to become like him and ultimately it seems like part of the point of this is the idea that he's going to have to be himself rather than you know the next Bruce right and that, that's you know and that's a common theme that we hear talked about a lot when it comes to the adult version of Dick is that he didn't grow up to be the next Batman. Even if he it puts on the kill, he's his own version of Batman. But he, the important right. part is that he is him, um, and, and that's something that even and, even Bruce himself will constantly say. I didn't, you know, take right. Dick in to be the next me. I took him in to be better than me. So, right, you know. So yeah, so that's what I always like too is that, you know, that he doesn't want to be the next Bruce because you know, that's not who dick grayson is right that they they have processed their trauma differently with with bruce versus with dick and so this whole thread of this one like him not wanting to be bat boy and then ultimately making the decision to do the reverse colors right like i'm not going to wear dark and hide in the shadow or wear dark colors hide in the shadows i'm going to be bright and you know the red and the yellow and the green and just the whole reason behind that is almost not out of spite but to be his own person like from from the you know young mind of of Dick Grayson, it seems like it's kind of out of spite. But well, it, it kind of you is. Can, but you and can I, tell where it is. It, well, it kind of is because he is a kid. But it's it's like mm-hmm. this challenging your parental figure kind of thing. You know, Batman's limiting him, telling him that he's not ready. You know, giving him out of trouble, and he wants to sort of lash out and rebel. So he kind of part of that rebellion for him is to you know go with the bright colors. Um, mm-hmm. So. But anyway, to work through the book, though, so the the, the, the story starts with uh, him. He's, he's actually out on a mission, and he's beating up some some thugs, some guys that are robbing a, mm-hmm. a truck. And he's wearing, like, an all-black suit. It's, it's, it's not like a like a full-fledged bat suit. It's like a hoodie with a bell. It's not, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a makeshift training outfit. And um, Bat's, Batman's on the comms, like, telling him uh, instructions, and he's saying that he's he's not... He's not paying enough attention. He's not watching his surroundings. Uh, to, you know, to quote Batman Begins. Uh, uh-huh. Never learned to watch his surroundings. Uh, but Dick kind of like shows that he does have some skill. He does take down most of the bad guys. But he misses one, right? You know, when Batman shows up and Dick's been a little bit cocky and says, See, I told you I had it under control. Uh, Batman throws a batarang and like hits the guy behind him. Uh, and all this art, of course, Dustin wins super moody. Um, with the watercolors the, and the watercolors match Gotham in a way that they shouldn't, right? Because like we're seeing Gotham with the dark, heavy lines, but just the watercolors work. And he's he's been doing Batman work forever at this point. Like I can't remember not seeing Dustin win like Batman pieces. Yeah, and so. it's, it's one of those things where just a simple... Because they tend to be very monotone in colour, right? More or less, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of this first scene is just all kind of whites, blues, and greys. But yeah. then you get to the car ride home where they're just sitting in awkward silence uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, Dick's feeling like he's in trouble, Bruce is mad at him, and, mm-hmm. but you just have this bathing red light. And it, you know, it kind of mimics the idea of street light, you know, coming through the window. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it just it has this tone on it the entire time. Um, but yeah, they get they get back and like Alfred and Bruce disagree with how to deal with Dick, um, and it's it's very interesting because Br- Bruce is arguing that Dick, um, you know, he he's still acting like a child. He's having temper tra- mm-hmm. tantrums when he should be acting like a soldier. And you know, because if I don't, you know, he 
if I don't train him properly, if I don't get him to do this right, I'm going to be bringing home a dead child. And Alfred, mm-hmm. with a very on-point, catty response, although with a lot of meaning behind this one, says, no, yeah. you'd rather bring home a dead soldier. Uh, right. Which is a, you know, a, a very interesting... Uh, it's, but, it's, it's a layered point to make because you, you, you kind of get the meaning yeah. behind it that he's, mm-hmm. he's saying that not not so much that it, oh well at least if he dies he'll still be himself it's more that he's right. making the point that him changing who he is to, to fit right. into you'd rather, this mold you rather is, have a dead soldier you rather have him come home dead but well trained than let him be himself um, That the one thing that stood out to me at first was the, the voice here with Bruce in Alfred, who I, I feel like Alfred can say sassy things because that's Bruce's dad, right? Like, so here when he stops him, when he goes, you know, he's acting like a child. And Alfred goes, well, if I may, sir. And he goes, no, you you may not. Or along those lines. It did ring true to me. But then later, it, it keeps going where, you know, Alfred kind of calls him out still. But Alfred still gets his word in, but just that initial tone there um you get the feeling that um bringing dick into the fold has mm-hmm. kind of thrown this not wrench dynamic but that, off. yeah this dynamic's a yeah. little bit different because now alfred's kind of judging yeah bruce a little bit for for what yeah. he's doing and, and also the idea that like there's a line i can't remember what the exact line is i'd have to find it but there's, there's a line that made me sort of like alfred says that kind of points out that you know uh, it, it talks about raising Bruce and how Bruce would only let him like help with his mission, but everything else he would like shut Alfred off from. And he's kind of telling him to do the same with Dick. And Alfred makes a comment about how, oh, that seems to be all I am ever allowed to do. Uh, is that? Yeah. And it, it was kind of this little pointed moment again of like pointing out like you're trying to make me only deal with Dick in the same way that you let me deal with you, and mm-hmm. you know pointing out those those similarities. Uh. And we cut to, you know, Dick in school and he's yawning and there's a lot of stuff like him in his journal and his narration talks a lot about how he's kind of like, he thought he'd be going into like some sort of fantasy where he's with a knight and a hero and it's actually more of a nightmare and he's, you know, he's mad in school. He's thinking of his parents uh, and he's thinking about how, well, no, he needs his own name. He needs his own outfit. Um, there's even a joke here about, you know, having a dark name like Nighthawk or Nightwing. Yeah. Uh, which, I'll be honest, I could have probably done without the the Nightwing name drop. Yeah, it's a little bit like him. Him, I I kind of do like it because it shows that he does have this idea from the beginning. He doesn't want like, unlike this is where we always talk about the difference between like Dick Grayson and Tim Drake. Is like Dick is always a reluctant Batman, right? When he's had to wear the cowl, it's not because he wants to. He feels like he has to. Whereas where I feel like that Tim very much wants to take that mantle. And here, I think this shows, too, that like he doesn't want to be Bat. He wants to be his own. Like, even thinking of, of names that aren't even close to Bat. Right? Yeah, he, like, wants, he to wants to be something to get away from that. completely different. Yeah. yeah. I, mm-hmm. And the other thing here as well is he talks in his narration about how, like, he starts thinking about his parents and what happened to them when he's in a normal part of life, when he's in school, when he's doing normal human things day to day. Like, the nightmare, you know, the the, the being the Batman sidekick and the, the mission... Mm-hmm. It's almost like a really understandable coping mechanism because if if nothing else, it's a distraction from like thinking about and accepting what his life actually is and what he's went through. So I, I think the book's done a good job of like getting into the psychology of not only just being indoctrinated into what Batman's doing, 
but how he, Dick himself is letting it happen because it is actually helping him cope mm-hmm. with like what's happened to him recently. Uh, and that's because one of the, the more vulnerable moments that I, I really liked is that when he's he's coming out of school and he sees the car and he's like, oh. If Bruce is here to pick me up, that means we're probably doing some early training, and it means he's like motivated. It means he's thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And then when he sees Alfred, he's he's disappointed, and Alfred even picks up in this. But they are here when he's disappointed is really good because like it's the same panel basically of his face looking happy and then looking sad after he sees yeah. Alfred at the bottom of the page. And I love how it mirrors the the same. It's the, it's almost the exact same four panels uh, as when Batman's driving him home in the Batmobile earlier yeah. on, uh, where it's just. It's more, it's more talky, of course, because Alfred's willing to talk. So it's, mm-hmm. it's contrasting Bruce and Alfred quite nicely. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not bathed in red like it was with Batman. But it's, it's very similar storytelling in that it's these four horizontal panels, and it's just really, you know, Alfred's head's the exact same in every one. He could have just copied his yeah. work if he wanted to. It's just, it's just Dick's head yeah. that's moving around and like thinking and commenting and things. Uh, so, so really neat. Um. But yeah, but you know, like he has a little tantrum when he gets back because Alfred suggests, oh, maybe you know, in a few years you can like take up this fight, but you could focus on your studies now. So he actually goes and makes his own outfit. He you know makes shifts yeah. his own Robin outfit and goes out to prove himself. Uh, I love the transition here because he ends his narration with this is going to really piss him off, and then it cuts to uh-huh. Batman. And this is the first time we even hear Batman's narration in the whole book. And he just uh-huh. says, "This really pisses me off." <laughs> He's not talking uh-huh. about Robin, but it's funny. <laughs> Uh, but by yeah. the way, that, that panel of him, you know, swinging through the city it's might be the most iconic. gorgeous. Yes, yeah, this is it's beautiful. The watercolors of the buildings, it just looks really nice. Uh, but basically, he's investigating the, the thieves from before. He he had Gordon let them out because he suspected there was something going on that he couldn't figure mm-hmm. out because they were they were stealing from meat trucks like like multiple times. It's like there's something fishy yeah. here. Yeah, they weren't robbing meat. They were robbing food. It felt like yeah. they were trying to, you know, which which that side off my. I was like, oh, okay, I think I know where this is going. Uh, yeah. Jumping down into the sewers. So yeah, and it teases the Robin outfit because we see the green boots before we get the the full reveal of him in the sewer, and it's this you know makeshift outfit that he's made. Uh, and one of the things I really liked is that the colors of his costume really pop because although because the backgrounds are very monotone, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes they've got a splash of color, but it'll it'll all be one color more or less. Whereas robin's bright colors of the red the green the yellow all really stick out against the yep. the muted watercolors in the background um and dick runs into killer croc we get a full page of it and it shows you how big killer croc is compared to dick yep. he just towers over him and he, he just kind of says hello dick tries to fight him um a couple of nice pages here with the, with the fight batman obviously shows up and uh is able to get dick away uh is pissed at him of course Yells at him. Well, yeah, he ends up getting a bunch of broken ribs for his troubles. Yeah, because uh, yeah. he's trying to save Dick and threw him off his game. Which I also like too that Dick being there when he didn't think he would does throw Bruce enough off that he gets hurt. Um, and this is kind of why it also um, reinforces why Dick needs to train more, right? Like yeah, him yeah. going off and doing his own thing does have consequences. Because that's the, that's the other thing that you mentioned is that Dick kind of like thinks to himself, maybe this is a test to show my independence yeah. if I if I go and do something. Yeah. And when they get back to the Batcave after this, he's like, because Batman calls his costume ridiculous. And he's like, it's not ridiculous, it's my family's. And he goes, I know it was. That's why I made this. And he shows him the Robin costume that he made, which is the exact yeah. same color scheme. It's got the R. And 
but Dick realizes that he's been looking at his journal, and that's why yeah. he he knows how to make this. And he gets mm-hmm. pissed. Uh, he feels that he has no privacy. Uh, Batman's like, "Oh, we can't keep any secrets." Blah 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 blah. Uh, and it's like Dick's like, "No, this this was meant to be mine, just mine." Mm-hmm. Like you know. Um, yeah, and, but it's, it's, there, there but, is a right to privacy story here. Uh, too, absolutely, where, where, but it's also kind of sweet, though, right? Like yeah. the Batman had this made. Like I, I, I felt like a. In, it was, like as far as fatherhood moments for Batman goes, this was like, oh man, he made them a Robin outfit. Right, but in doing it in a very Batman way, where he was like, "I'm going to read it through his journal," which is a <laughs> yeah, big no no, and he doesn't yeah. understand because he's not a parental figure yet. He's still learning. Like Dick is still learning to be dick grayson whereas bruce has to remember how to be bruce wayne and not batman you know, uh, you know i think that story is is obviously dick being himself but it's also batman learning to let him be himself uh right. it, you know, right. it, th- th- this is in a way that maybe i've not quite seen before i don't think i feel like this is really trying to tackle how their relationship actually forms at this early stage in their you know mm-hmm. time together so that's really smart. Uh, but we get that scene afterwards as, as Robin kind of repeats the opening narration of the book. We see Killer Croc in a, in a hat and coat, me no less. I, uh, I love it. Venture up to what's left of Haley's circus and sort of like wanders around. And we get this like flashback. Basically, he recognized Dick because he used to like be like a sideshow attraction at the circus. Uh-huh. He's in the water uh, and he looks up at the flying Grayson's poster because he recognized the colors more than anything probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you go back and revisit that thing, uh, that scene with Croc when he catches Robin, he goes, hey, kid, right? And then he goes, hey, where did you get those colors from? Um, now, I, this might have been a blind spot, but tying Killer Croc to Haley Circus, I don't know if that's been done, but it's a pretty genius move. Yeah, it may be new. It may be something that's pulling on a bit of history, but I actually kind of like it. Uh, yep. And it makes... I mean, I, this is where I realize I have a type for Batman villains where I like the kind of sympathetic ones more. Mm-hmm. You know, like I love Ivy and Two-Face and Croc even. It might have been last week. I couldn't figure out who to put in my third spot because I said, who are your top Batman villains that aren't Joker and Harley? I was like, well, this is easy. And those aren't even in my top as it goes, right? And I had a hard time and I, I put Killer Croc there. Then seeing him in this, the, the, the trench coat and hat, I was like, oh, okay, I just... He's a monster. I like monsters. But then seeing him poke out as the crocodile boy and like looking at the Graysons and like there's a sense of longing there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Just the sympathetic monster, you know, gets me. And Lemire does that very well. Oh, yeah. I, I totally dig this, at least on its own. I, I do think, you know, and obviously this is kind of a continuity. Although, I mean, mm-hmm. much like a lot of Batman individual books, you can kind of like headcan them into like being part of the overall you know, tapestry if you want to. Because uh, technically Long Halloween is not in continuity, but we kind of treat it like it is in, in a lot of ways. But, um, but and then the grand scheme of things, I, I would say that, you know, we've already turned Man, Bat, and Clayface sympathetic. I don't know if we necessarily, yeah. like, I, I kind of like the idea of one of, just one of the monstrous Batman villains just remaining monstrous. And Killer Croc can be a pretty scary dude in the sewers if they treat him that way. Uh, yeah, but if, if you can keep him to... You know, like he's more friendly when it comes to Dick because of the tide of the circus. You know, almost like he has a sense of family. I think that works. Just you know, he doesn't no, always it, have it, to. It, it totally does on it on its own. I'm I'm just saying that I don't want Clayface, Killer Croc, and Man Bat to all be sympathetic in the same world. 
I mean, that's how we get a new Gotham City Monsters book, Pete. You know? <laughs> I, it's I right just, there. I think it's too much of too many villains becoming more anti-heroes, but on its own, yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I... This this was a thing that I was hinting at earlier that I just, I love, like, of course, of course he was a circus side show with the way that he looks and, you know, the fact that he was having his goons rob stuff for food, probably for himself, right? Like... He's got to eat to keep up that size, which is, is which is which is more sympathetic than normal because it means he's not eating right. people. He's you know exactly, and that's that's the thing with me that I was thinking of is like he's not out there you know murking guys. He's he's you know sure he's robbing food trucks, but you know those are insured. So <laughs> yeah, uh, but just that this whole sequence with it's all done in grays and the you know. Um, the circus is kind of lit up with the Robin colors. It's a lot of yellows and reds, which mm-hmm. are kind of the, those are the flying grease and colors. So um, it really pops. I, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the story beats here, the idea that if the colors, the bright colors of Robin can lighten up Killer Croc and make him mm-hmm. sympathetic, then maybe it can do the same for Batman. Like, you know, yep. obviously, no, obviously Batman's not as, you know, villainous as Killer Croc, but, and then the themes of the story, the idea that this will lighten up Batman a little bit, ultimately, if he lets mm-hmm. Robin change him just a touch. It, you know, so there's a sweet story in here as well uh, that I can definitely see is getting to by the end of the part three, but uh, I dug this a lot. I mean, I don't know if that was clear from the, the conversation, but this was yeah. a very well-written book. It was very easy to read. Um, Shocking coming from Jeff Lemire. I know. Right? Uh, th- this is going to be such an easy recommendation to like, like go go along with uh, your you know your standalone bat books that kind of fill in the early like career parts of various characters. You go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't quite fit with say a Robin Year One or or other stories, but you you can slot it in there as one of the the versions of the the, the Robin early days stuff to to, to add to your bat sort of shell so uh, yeah yeah uh, really really solid I, I i felt it uh the art's obviously wonderful uh very distinct tone and dustin one's a, an artist that i wouldn't want on like you know a lot of regular comics necessarily but for the creator own stuff that he does with other people and for like standalone stories like this it, it works beautifully uh really yeah. specific tone that you get and vibe from his art yeah definitely yeah uh, we giving it. We giving uh, Robin and Batman. Uh, I'm giving this an eight point five. Yeah, I don't want to go as high as a nine. I I think the uh, yeah. I I think the psychology and the relationship between Bruce and Dick and like Dick dealing with how Bruce is treating him, but also realizing that Bruce is making mistakes and has to learn stuff too. I think that's been handled really well. And there's a lot of good character work happening here. Uh, that I'm I'm ready to dig. So, uh, that's cool. That's Robin and Batman issue one. Batman the Imposter issue 2, Mattson Tomlin writing with Andrea Sorrentino on art. Uh, we raved about issue 1 of this, and mm-hmm. I suspect we're going to do something similar with issue 2. Yeah, yeah maybe not as much, because this kind of, I feel, hit, hit a little bit of bumps, I feel, with, with the story. Um, but uh, it's hard to be mad when you're looking at the Sorrentino art and how well it just, how cinematic Sorrentino can be. Um, just the fight sequences in this one because there's a lot of them. Yeah, uh, you know it uses uh, the Leslie Tompkins therapy sessions again as a as a framing device, and uh, we see her even talking to Bruce as a kid, presumably one of the first times she ever met him uh, when he was an angry little kid. 
Uh, we get a sense that the Alfred of this world actually gets scared away because he couldn't put up with Bruce's shit. <laughs> not, not, not much of a fan of that because I feel like Bruce or uh, Alfred's always Bruce's conscience, and I don't like the idea of uh, a Bruce without an Alfred. You know, I, I mean, maybe um, that's like part of what the the concept of the story is, though. Is that it could be? You know, th- th- this is be. Bruce is the way he is in this particular Batman because he doesn't have an Alfred that stuck by him. Right, but he's still. I don't know. He still comes off very much as the Bruce that's familiar later. Um, there's not a lot of drawbacks to that, which because is... Leslie's starting thought, to, no, because Leslie's starting to fill that role. Maybe. Um, I, I was waiting for that to be like uh, the, the butler that quit is how we get Alfred, right? They need that. That guy almost in the Earth one way where... Hmm. Um, where... Uh, Alfred was brought in as like a security expert, but seeing this this traumatized kid who just saw his parents murdered in front of him, he decides he's gonna be this guy's guardian. Um, and I was kind of hoping something along these lines of how we're gonna get this Alfred, and then he just takes off, <laughs> you know, and we never see this Alfred again. Um, so that, that's a weird story quibble, but uh, you know, Elseworld stuff. I come on, yeah, I'm ready to roll with it. Uh, basically, um, so. Yeah, you know, Bruce keeps showing up later and later to these therapy sessions, but he does show up. He shows up bloody mm-hmm. and bruised, and he's investigating the imposter, of course. He broke into Wesker's building, uh, which was that two-page layout, and... <laughs> so good. Just a squeaky you opening that bottle. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the, just the, you know, the, the classic, like, the back cape all sprawled out on the black and white background image. Uh, with all the little panels in front with him with the grappling gun. But yeah, it's him breaking in and beating up some security guards, but he you know, he makes a mistake. He doesn't hit hard enough, as he points out. Uh, so again, it's an early Batman. He's making mistakes. And But ultimately, because Wesker's got this like surveillance system where he's like tapped into the entire city's security and like cameras and all that, he wants access to it, so that's what he's here for. All of this art, though, this fight with him and the security guards that ends with... Um, like he's getting, because he jumps out the the window, but you see the, the one guard's like hand grab the cape, and then you know the next page he's being strangled, and he has to like cut off part of his own cape with his little you know blade, um, all that really good stuff. But he ends up, it's almost like a horror story. He ends up in wherever like, uh, you know, the ventriloquist like, the, like has hanging yeah, as the living where, quarters. Where, where, uh, where, where says later where he's been building all of his like uh, dolls and puppets. And we actually get, like, a scene of him, like, you know, holding Scarface and, like, it's like, hey, ask him to kill your dad. Ask him to kill your dad. So mm-hmm. he asked Batman to kill his father. And Batman, of course, just leaves <laughs> and tells Leslie Tubbett. But the art and all this is great. Uh, like, it's super moody, super, like, dark and, like, just a little bit macabre and, you know, nasty. It's creepy. It's the way that it's doing with the lack of color. Mm Because it's only black, white, and red, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it's just... and He's holding Scarface, not in the way that we're used to, but almost cradling him. Yeah, if if the only critique I really have is that because of this, it's like like a black background and all the panels take place in these diamond panels, Mm -hmm. is that the red diamonds made me think of Harley Quinn. (laughs) That was was the only... I thought, is this a Harley Quinn thing? No, it's not. It's just uh, Scarface and the Jollycrist. Just a way that I feel like he... That Sorrentino decided to plot out the 
how the flow was going to go. Mm. Um, but I, I thought Harley as well. Yeah. So, uh, but then we cut back to what the cliffhanger of the, the, the first book was, which is uh, Detective Wong coming to speak to Bruce. And he, he kind of like has a good answer for everything. He talks about how he's not really that connected mm-hmm. to the company. Uh, you know, you'll look into it. I'll, you know, I'll tell the accountants you're coming and kind of fobs her off. But he reveals that, you know, like it's, it's sort of really casually just uh, in like a panel where he's looking up her history and it mentions that she saw her, saw her parents be killed, much like Bruce did. And he kind of says, oh, I've got an in here. Like, I, I can talk to her and get more information about the imposter because he's, he's coming up a bit short. So the, the middle part of the book is very much him getting close to Detective Wong and effectively flirting with her, asking for information. Uh, and even kind of, it, it seems like he does kind of fall for her. And it's, it's, it's in that Bruce way where he's still going to use her for information, but he does seem right. to have feelings for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, where... Well, he, he recognizes that she still is a really good detective. You know, without you know, just needing to use her, like, that she kind of figured out he's Batman with very minimal evidence. Um, and now he just has to lead her away from from that. Yeah. I, I did like the buy-in bulk line. Like, she knocks on the door and he says something about wanting some chai tea. And he goes, yeah, I buy everything in bulk, which then comes into play when he's talking about all the motorcycles that went missing. Yeah, because he basically... He plants an excuse in the paperwork, which is that yeah. a, a container went missing. But you know, it's like mm-hmm. we we have so much stuff coming in that one container is like a bit of a write off. It's not a mm-hmm. it's not a police matter. Um, but and he even does this like really coy thing uh, with her, where like she says, "Oh, you th- you thought we had a bunch of bunch in common because we both saw our parents be murdered," and he's like, "Well, no, because we both like dropped out of Yale." <laughs> Yeah, we both dropped out of the Ivy League. And, <laughs> and, she's like, and, and oh, she is mortified. It's so good. And because you, you know what that's what he meant. Like he intentionally yeah. did this because this this is a bonding moment. And uh you know, it's, it's very manipulative, but he does ask her out and says you want to talk about our time in Brazil, you know. Uh and I love how it switches to like a a, a stark white background as we see them holding hands and being on a date and she's got the red jacket on. So you've got this the black and white with her and red, um, and all the all the bats flying around. That that two page spread is absolutely beautiful, um, and it kind of shows. It's almost like the the bats all flying all around them. You know, we talk about butterflies in the stomach when you feel love. Yeah. So the idea for him it's bats. <laughs> it's kind of funny Bruce, to me. Yeah, Bruce has uh, bats in his belfry. <laughs> his belly free. Yeah, there you go, belly free. Uh, but yeah, so when she's asleep, though, he like steals her like laptop and looks up some stuff, and uh, you know, get, not, get... not good behavior on a first date. That's no, for sure. uh, but he he gets like information on the imposter, and uh, it it leads him uh, ultimately to the, which, by the way, actually, just as I'm skipping ahead here to, to get to this mm-hmm. next important part. Uh, there was, a, there was a sign in the street at one point when he's walking through the street saying Gotham Film Studios coming soon. Is that just like a wink and a nod because the writer of the next movie uh, is doing this? I think, I think so. So I looked this up too. Um, he did an uncredited rewrite. Uh, well, not uncredited. He's not credited on The Batman like no? I thought he was. No, but he did work on it. So maybe. I'm not sure. Like okay. I, I'm pretty sure... Because a lot of this feels like it's set in that world. It's just slightly off. You know, it's very gritty from what we've seen. 
um, from trailers and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but may, maybe you're right. Maybe he's writing the next one, right? I, I, I think uh, this is this is far too specific at this point to be connected to the new movie. Like, the- oh, and this is what yeah, this is what made me once we started getting to her backstory and some of the other stuff that happened here. I was like, oh yeah, no, this is kind of. It's the essence of the new movie, but this is its own story. Yeah. Uh, but to show, that, again, that they're very equally matched in terms of skills in a lot of ways, like, Wong basically has the same idea that he did, where she goes to Wesker, he, you know, he's demanding, hey, that Batman broke into my building, I want something done about it. He's like, look, if you want us to catch him, like, give me access to your surveillance network. So she, she's effectively using the same resources that he is. She has the same idea to mm-hmm. track down... I mean, she doesn't look, realize she's looking for an imposter, of course. She thinks she's just right. looking for the Batman. Um, but we get this thing where they both track down uh, rat catchers, like Van. Like, they see footage of this imposter with rat catcher. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay. So they said that obviously that was a cliffhanger at the end of last issue. This rat catcher dude. Uh, I said, you know what I mean? Like, we know who the rat catcher is. But, like, right. in terms of the, this book, it was this, this guy who'd become the rat catcher. He was brought on as an ally to, to this imposter. And I, I love the panel here, actually, of, like, uh, Batman driving the bike past her in the car. Uh, mm-hmm. And just it, just, it felt like a really epic kind of moment, because they're both racing to the same location. Uh, and they get there, Batman, of course, there's a whole scene here. It's this wonderful action where they're in the car with Ratcatcher. Uh, the police have apprehended him. And, like, Wong to her partner's like, hey, you know, watch out for bat ears. And... There's just this great sequence of like Batman throwing like a smoke bomb at the car, and like she gets out, and it, again it all goes white because of the smoke, and the only color on the page is a little bit of red on her face from blood that she you know she you know cut her head in the impact, but this is like Batman like stealing Ratcatcher from the police, and she actually has him bat- at gunpoint, and he actually you know bite her a little bit, uh, and it's just, it feels like a big showdown because the book's done a really good job of treating her as an equal to Batman in terms of scale, in terms of how important she is. So this feels like, you know, two of her main characters facing off. It, it really feels, uh, I guess it's akin as, as anything else to like Batman and Gordon in year one. It feels like the yeah. two leads and the two important characters are finally coming face to face. I mean, they technically already have. She doesn't know that, <laughs> but... As Batman, right. it's the first time they're coming face to face, so it feels like a really big moment, and the, the book crescendos really well to it, and it's gorgeous to look at as well. So Batman uh, tortures Ratcatcher a bit <laughs> to, to get some information. Just that sequence, though, because we got such the the introduction to Ratcatcher last time, and how much sympathy they built, because you're mm-hmm. just like this guy is like legit just misunderstood, and then as <laughs> he's been. <laughs> He's like doing the, the, the dunk take treatment where he's dunking his head under and then asking him questions when he doesn't get the answer he wants. It's back under and, and Ratcatcher's like, I don't understand. I'm your friend. And it's like, this just poor guy. Like, you know. You feel, yeah, you feel kind of bad for him. <laughs> yeah, because he's mixed up in something that has really nothing to do with him, right? The imposter came to him because of his, you know, he's familiar with the tunnels of Gotham and whatnot. And um, we through through uh the the detective and through batman we find out that this has to do with judges um yeah what one in particular yeah who like all yeah. of his cases like or not all but like a lot of his cases got overturned mm-hmm. because he got exposed as corrupt and all the victims all these criminals that the the imposter's been killing have all been people as as batman puts it here towards the end he says you know this is actually my mess that he's cleaning up 
you know, in his way. It's not a way obviously Bruce approves of, but right, um, he's cleaned up the mess. And Gordon is no longer on the police department because he was tied up in it as well mm-hmm. because of his dealings with Batman. And that this judge, all his cases basically got thrown out because of the corruption, and that Gordon was working with Batman, so he gets tossed. And so, you know, this imposter is going around as Batman cleaning up this mess. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a nice little turn. Yeah, he gets a lot of that from the other stuff that he steals from our computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the ending is basically just uh, Wong's breaking into the, the evidence locker because mm-hmm. she's, as her partner puts it, you're going to war because she's like stealing the, uh, the heavy duty machine guns. Uh, and it ends in this really dark, you know, because we spoke about how some of, some of the pages are like ultra white, but just like the black highlights or shadows to like create the high contrast image. This is the opposite. This is them in shadows doing something that's supposed to. When she says, you know, because when he asked the question, are you planning to go to war? It, when she says, yeah, pretty much, she coming. Like she is in so much shadow on that page. Like, you know, a bit of her cheek and her nose are, is really all you see. And her mm-hmm. partner who feels like he's a bit less of a noble cop kind of smirks. And that's kind of the Estes cliffhanger. That's what we end yeah. on. It feels that like her permission. He just got permission from her to go crack some heads. It, it, it also, yeah, and it also feels like her encounter with Batman and Batman actually like kicking her down and like <laughs> make, making her feel small by telling her to stay down. Because right. and obviously we know that Batman's saying that because he doesn't want to fight her. He wants her to just right. back down so he can do what he's doing. Um, but like from her, you can kind of get how that might motivate her to be like, no, I'm going out. Like not only that does this interaction feel belittling to her. She also thinks this guy is going around killing people and mm-hmm. she has to stop him. So, like, she doesn't know it's two separate people. She doesn't know it's an imposter. So, right. It's just Batman. Yeah. So, this. Yeah. yeah I mean, I love this issue. I, this was another yeah. fantastic issue. I yeah. just. This, the, the whole romancing angle was something I wasn't expecting and it kind of made it a little bit choppy in the fact that she's. has a similar background. To him too, I thought it's a little bit on the nose, but we'll see where that goes. But it's still very good. Like the story, I'm still. Once we got to the part with the judges and and how how this deals with this is now this is not just a Batman without Alfred. It's also Batman without Gordon, and that changes things as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm excited to see. I actually know. Is this three or four books? I can't remember. I'm hoping it's four because I feel like we've got two books left of material. Yeah, I think I think it's four. Let me, let me check as I'm. But um, if there's only one left, then damn, I can't believe we only have like one third left. But mm-hmm. uh, the art is gorgeous throughout, which is no surprise, uh, consistent with the first one. But I, I think it's done a really good job with this Detective Wong character, where mm-hmm. she feels super important in the story. It does a good job of building her up. And making her feel, you know, the the comparisons to Batman feel very valid. I, I think because we're treating her, you know, she's a new character. We've introduced her. They're not trying to put her into Batman's past. They're just giving her a mm-hmm. similar backstory. Uh, right. That is far more cool with me than what they do a lot of the times with like, oh, so and so was in Batman's past and is connected yeah, to Ghost what happened to him. Yeah, Ghostmaker being the the most. Right, right, there's only three issues. So only three. Only one more. Damn. Uh, well, I'm excited to find out who the imposter is, and I'm excited for the, the true head-to-head. Because I'm assuming she's going to f- figure out who Batman is by the end. She's going to see it's Bruce. Right. And right. I'm excited to see what the resolution to that is. Um, yeah, I, I guess the only complaint I have is that it feels like there's so much story potential left to do that I don't know how much, you know, what we're doing in this final... Actually, I know, I know it's going to be 50 pages, but... Uh, and again, 50 pages flew in. Uh, this, the, this was yeah. not a, a hard read at all. Mm-hmm. 
the 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 craft on display here and the the flow of the book is just exceptional. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's an exploration yeah, yeah, of, of Batman. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super into it. So, uh. all right. What are you rating Batman: The Imposter Issue Two? Uh, I'm gonna give this an eight point five. Honestly, I'm putting it on nine. I've got that's two nines so far. There you it go. May not be a lot of books this week, but it's been a good week so far. Yeah. Uh, so moving on then. Wonder Woman Issue Seven Eight One. Becky Clunan, Michael Conrad writing with Marcio Takara on the art. Um, so I, I had dropped this mm-hmm. a few issues into all the Asgard and Earth and like all yeah, that once shit. It got, once it got mythological, Pete was like, all right, I'm tapping out. You and Connor can read it. And then once we get back to Earth, if it sounds like uh, more of my speed, I'll jump back in. And uh, yeah, and, and part of it was, you know, I thought the, the chapter they did in the special, you know, the anniversary mm-hmm. special. I, th- I thought that was was pretty solid, and I, it's not that I hate the writers' voices. I just uh, a lot of the stuff that they were doing in the myth, myth mythical realm just felt like a, mm-hmm. a, a, a time waster, to be honest. Uh, so I was I was curious enough to check it out, and it was quite weak as well, which you know helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so this is and it does work. Honestly, this issue does work decently as a jumping on point. Uh, there's yes. definitely references to things that were happening in the book. Obviously, uh, Diana and Deadman are pretty chummy, so that's something that was mm-hmm. obviously comes out of the, the previous arc. Here's the thing. I like to think I'm pretty well-versed in Deadman. Have we ever seen him, like, long-term possessing a corpse in this way? <sighs> I don't... I can't remember it. I can't think of an example. But it didn't. No. But, it, but at the same time, though, it didn't surprise me, which makes me think I have seen it. <laughs> well, I like it because it, you know he doesn't have to possess somebody that's not willing, right? Like, and just take over their whole thing. It's he went to the morgue, jumped in a dead body. <laughs> now he's like, all right, we have a time limit because this body's gonna start rotten. Yeah, and, he, uh, he's got like a. Yeah. I mean, she jokes later on that it looks like a vampire. So I guess yeah. like that, it'll look like a vampire for a while, and then it'll just start to look more and more like a zombie. <laughs> yeah, as time goes yeah. on. <laughs> and he's, he has the autopsy marks on his chest that stick out through the shirt. I just thought, you know, uh, Takara's art here. I just, I was blown away. I was not ready for it to look this good. Oh yeah, Takara's, like, Takara's a really solid artist. Yeah, but this took a whole new level. I feel, I, I, I feel like this. I remember Takara, what book was it that uh, Takara was on, but it was, th- they were alternating with another artist, and the other artist was one that I liked even more, so Takara's art- It was Flash. Art, was it, oh, it was a Flash? But it, yeah. so it kind of suffered almost because it was like up against something else that, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it was I like- think... the, So, oh, you know, I, I think this uh, shows though that very dependable artist, uh, Takara, mm-hmm. on, on their own, so- um. Yeah, so the start of the book is uh, Diana and Etta just at lunch talking about, you know, her being back, what's going on. The main thing that comes out of it is that uh, she's avoiding Steve. She doesn't want it to seem like she's avoiding Steve, but she kind of is. <laughs> she's just scared to go yeah. see Steve. Yeah. Uh, so that's the end. Because, because that story in the special was about Steve, like, missing her and how he was going through that, that, that loss. Mm-hmm. And... Like because of that, it was kind of exciting the idea that okay, like we're still seeing it from her perspective, but she's kind of she's intimidated to go back and interact with them. Um, but Doctor Psycho ends up on the on the TV. This guy, I know. I'm, 
I'm so glad that this isn't one of the, you know, rotating cast of villains. I feel like we need more Dr. Psycho because he is so for everything I was talking about Croc and, and Robin and Batman about being sympathetic. There's not one ounce of sympathy for Dr. Oh, no, Psycho. No, no, he's a little bastard. That's, that's yeah. just what he is. And he should be. Uh, so, mm-hmm. or Dr. Sisgo. I, I, I'll be honest, I could, if you'd asked me before I read this issue what Dr. Psycho's yeah. actual name was, I would never be able to Which tell Which is you. why he's called Dr. Psycho, because I, I think it's pretty close. Um, very yeah. memorable, very memorable. But they see him on the news, uh, you know, talking about stuff, and he's got a new book coming out, and, like, Diana's all like, hmm, I'm going to have to go and check up on this little shithead, because he's up yeah. to no good, because well, he always is. Uh, yeah, he's talking about on on a news network that you know, um, that he's how was he? He has his book out. Um, yes, uh, this is the first thing I read this week. It's yes. been a minute. My my uh, my little struggle. Yes, yes, <laughs> and yeah. So uh, of course she doesn't trust that. So she goes to the to the station where he's broadcasting from, and yeah, just. Completely creepy scene. Just his eyes poking through. In yeah, that well, way. that's why I point out you know, the, the art of her arriving there and stopping the car. You know, it's all. I, I think what I like most about the art actually is the coloring. I like the kind of the golden yeah. tone to everything. Yeah. Um, it's got a warm color palette, which I really like. But yeah, like the eyes behind the window as it rolls down, and he's basically like, Oh, you want an autograph? That'll be $50. And she's like, Come on now. I can smell your schemes from a mail away. What's going yeah. on? Um, and she drops a, a, a Klingon reference. <laughs> she, she, says, she does? Justice isn't a dish you can serve cold. Oh, man. I, Old I Klingon proverb. Realize... Revenge is yeah. a dish best served cold. Right. I didn't realize that was a Klingon thing, though. Uh, it's, it's why at the start of, I think it's Kill Bill, Tarantino has it as a quote, and it says Old Klingon proverb. <laughs> gotcha. I'm not that familiar with, uh, with, with Kill Bill. I've seen it a couple times. I did mm. not remember that's how it starts, but um that's that is fantastic on on the writer's parts yeah uh so yeah but anyways basically she's like i'm going to expose your schemes and he's like look i have nothing to say to you woman get go away bye bye like even even the way he says bye bye at the end as he's rolling up yeah. the window just like has a bit of a tone to it which is really nice yeah, he's, he's talking down to her even though you know yeah, as we well, know he's very diminutive so why i liked about so so she, the reason why she actually ends the conversation is because she hears someone yelling for help mm-hmm. and she flies off and she gets to this construction site, and there's a construction worker who's like, you know, standing at a ledge, and he's going to jump. And very quickly, the way he starts talking to her, it becomes clear that this is Doctor Psycho, who just took control of this guy to distract her so he could get away. And just everything about this scene where he th- makes this guy sort of like just fall off the ledge as he goes, "Tada!" Or no, he goes, "Tata, tata, Diana." Tata, Diana. Yeah, and she yeah. has to like pull him up, and the guy wakes up and becomes himself as he's dangling with the lasso. Is like, oh my god, what's going on? And she's like, it's okay, I've got you. It's, it's okay. I I just I like this because this was a really nice example of what Doctor Psycho can do. It shows his threat. Uh, he's such a little shit. Um, it made me realize actually that Doctor Psycho and um Maxwell Lord do share some similar like, yeah power set stuff between them but yeah definitely and it's with max lord though it seems to be more in a how can it benefit him because he he really believes in in us in an order right mm-hmm. where psycho he's just all about himself you know how's this going to benefit him so i do like that there is a difference like they are two sides of the same coin you know but but yeah that's a, that's a good point 
Yeah. So she goes to Dead Man. Her her logic here is that she has to like sort of like deal with any emotional stuff she's dealing with because it can be exploited. And I feel like she's focusing on like the sword she's got from the dude that she met. It was a Siegfried. Uh, yeah, it's Siegfried Sword Graham. Yeah. So this is obviously some of the stuff that's more connected to the last mm-hmm. arc. So uh, honestly, it's not too much to deal with. It's just a MacGuffin. She has to deal with it. And I wasn't really left caring or wondering, you know, about any details. I was just kind of cool with it. Because what I like about this is that ultimately she's going to realize that her avoiding Steve is going to be the real weakness emotionally. Like, if he's going to exploit an emotional weakness, it's going to be that. Uh, but she goes to Dead Man, who's in this corpse body, and he's living in, like, a, a mansion that's been abandoned for now because no one's, like, dealt with it after whoever died, died. Uh, I don't know if he ever says it was this guy who died that he's, in, you know, he's, he's, he's in. If yeah. it was his place, or if it was just someone else's place that's been left abandoned, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. No. Uh, but he uh, he holds the sword, Siegfried's sword, and it tells him where um where where his remains. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, what's left of the body? At least we can go find it and we can, uh, you know, put it at rest. Um, and what's interesting is you think she's going to see Steve before she goes. Uh, because we go, we cut to Steve, and it looks like Wonder Woman, but she's all in shadows, kind of weird. And then the yep. speech bubble is kind of weird as well, because it's all jagged, and it says, "Yes, I am she, I am Wonder Woman," like almost like a robot. And uh-huh. immediately tries to kill Steve. Uh, and she's got like a, it's not quite, it's not a Joker face, but she's smiling kind of weird at him. It's very it, creepy. It's very uncanny valley, right? It's like, like a, it's like a doll. It's like, it's like she's, yeah, you know, she's definitely fake, whatever she is, and uh. She punches the shit out of Steve a little bit. He eventually pulls out a, a gun. And when he shoots her, though, she shatters almost... Not quite... I want to say quite like glass. It's it's more like... um. She definitely fractures. Yeah. Like, but it's yeah. Like it, she fractures in this kind of weird way where it leaves a hole and it's all these, like, shattered parts of her. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost like she's made out of, like, a... I don't know. Some, probably some alien material, knowing Or, like, comics. crystal, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's it's very flaky. It looks like a lot of flakes as it's flying back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we cut to Doctor Psycho, uh, who's going to uh, pick up something that he's bought <laughs> from a mysterious, you know, black market dealer. And there's a little joke here with a guy at the door who's got like a little, like you know, slidey peephole. Can't see him mm-hmm. because he's too short. <laughs> uh, I'm right here, you dullard. Yeah. I guess, uh, man, taking taking shots at at Psycho, not just because he's short, but because he's terrible. Yeah, I think right. Joey makes some work. I think his his dialogue, which I think this book does a really good job at, mm-hmm. he's saying things like Dullard and like the yeah. way he speaks to Wonder Woman, they make yeah. him such a little shit that it's mm-hmm. so fun to watch him like get shit on. Like it really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. So this guy's procured uh, whatever this. You know, we don't get to see what it is, but he's got it in a guitar case because he doesn't have like another case for it. Uh, and the little joke here is that you know. Psycho made him think he was looking at stacks of cash, but it's actually just bits of blank paper. Uh, so he's loving Class- yeah. classic Doctor Psycho. I mean, not really. Yep. Um, and then we cut to Diana uh, and Dead Man on the plane, uh, yep. and she explains that you know sometimes it's nice to just enjoy the trip and like not be in control for a change, which is you know why they're not yep. just flying, you know, normally yeah. <laughs> to to where they're going. And yeah, and she talks a little bit about Steve again. Uh, and the end of the issue, though, is that she looks out the window of the plane and she sees multiple fake Dianas. So just like the one Steve yep. fought, presumably, 
all flying through the air uh, next to the plane. And it's, uh, it says next nightmare at 20,000 feet. If the next issue is all set in this plane, I'll be delighted. I don't think it will be, but that'd be a really no. fun But that'll be cool. Fun right? story. Like... Yeah. Uh, I thought this was really good. Obviously, yeah, there's mm-hmm. some sort of threads that are lingering from the previous arc that I didn't finish. and But I, I don't think but it I hurts think too okay. much. This is, yeah, no, this is a good place to jump on. Because they're kind of just hinting towards stuff. So, like, you don't need to be intimately aware of her relationship with Siegfried in Valhalla. You just have to know she's retu- returning this warrior sword to mm-hmm. a, uh, its final resting place. Yeah. Which is a very Diana thing to do, right? The, like, the Doctor Psycho stuff felt nice and jump honorable. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone reacting to her being back and her reluctance to see Steve. Like, maybe I'd say if you haven't read the uh, story from the special, it'd be worth reading, but you don't need to. Uh, yeah. Like, as long as you know she was gone and she's back now, that's really all you need to know. And you can jump in here. Yeah, I thought it was good. I really liked the art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chikar's art really stood out to me. I was like, this looks great. Just his Diana is really, like, she feels solid. I like her voice. I, I, I like her voice with the other characters, and I especially think Dr. Psych was a lot of fun to read. So uh, I'm back on board, honestly. Like, I had a pleasant time okay. with this book. Um, so yeah. uh, I never read the backup, admittedly. Uh, oh, so I did, and I'll just I'll make it quick, because this looks like it's setting up stuff uh, in the Wonder Woman adjacent worlds. Yeah, because um, it's setting up the... Uh, the Amazon crossover thing that's happening next year. Yeah, so they're at the um, Fortress of the Banna Migdal, uh, uh Amazons that are, that's in Karak, and um, they're basically recruiting new um, Amazons. And so they bring these three women there, and they all give them, you know, weapons, and it's like a trial by combat. Um, but uh, this this one lady, it figures out, like, because she doesn't grab, so it, on on the tray, there's guns but she you know picks up like the staff um and they question her why did you take the less lethal uh option and she is like well if people have to fight tooth and nail for this tribe they want to be here and if they want to be here that we have something in common so why do i want to kill them and she passes and the other two don't and um they go to fire on her and you come find the guns are not loaded um and the uh, queen there who's ever in charge it's not artemis uh, what's the name um anyways the leader of the band of mcdall is like dispose of them so they got to take them out um and um they leave you get a a scene how they celebrate and what it means for to become the newest uh band of mcdall uh, and as uh, they, they cut her hand, she basically signs in blood that she's there. And then um, a chimera attacks, which is a lion with the wings of a bat and a tail of a scorpion. And uh, uh, Artemis leads them into battle with her ginormous axe. Uh, so it was it was pretty good. The art is, it matches to cars pretty well. Like the lines are real clean and the... Um, just the breakdown of, of the action is really well handled. There's a lot of panels, though. So it, this made the short read feel a little bit longer. So I don't know if that's what they're going for. But the final page revealed that it's a um, chimera is, is a pretty cool. You know, it uh, looks like Greece is attacking. And I'm, and I'm wondering if this or not Greece, but the Olympians, if this has something to do with Wonder Girl and what Hera's 
got going on there and kind of what we saw with Artemis trying to recruit her, trying to find out what Yara is up to. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's also um, the voice uh, that Vita Ayala does here is spot on. I've had some problem with their work before where it feels like the voices are just off enough that it's weird. Um, some of the, the bat family stuff that they did during future state, it was more missed than hit here. I feel like it's all on uh, mainly because I'm not familiar with a lot of these characters, uh, save Artemis. So it was pretty good. It was worth it. If you have time and want to go back and visit, it's, it's pretty good. Okay. Okay. Uh, what are you reading the book? Uh, so the first story I am going to give an eight toward uh, two, uh, the um, and then the backup I'll give a seven. Yeah, I agree with the eight on the main story. I had a good time with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next issue. That's good. I'm, I'm happy to be reading Wonder Woman again. Mm-hmm. Action Comics one thousand thirty six. Philip K. Johnson and Daniel Sampier on the art. We begin the War World Saga. Who we? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm glad we saved this for last. Um, I saved this book. I read this this morning when I couldn't fall back asleep. Um, and and who boy was that a mistake? Because then I had a harder time. Because this is <laughs> this is Superman that I like. I feel like this is a story that Philip Kennedy Johnson has thought about for years, and what it means, what Mongol represents to Superman, and how their ideologies are going to play out over the War World. And the Sampier art is fantastic. It's chilling when it needs to be. There's some fist pump moments. Um, There's some very sad uh, moments as well, which we'll get into. Very, very sad um, moments on, on. I think with it as well. Yeah, it's a great first issue of, of the the saga. I obviously been building up to it. I think you know the first couple of pages though are quite interesting. So we have this mm-hmm. character who, uh, what was his role? Um, so. They're they're the Durlin that is sitting on the um, United Planets Council. Yeah, yeah. So he's taking this new role in the United Planets, but he, he had like a high up role in his own planet at first. But he's moving mm-hmm. uh, to the United Planets, so he's sort of saying goodbye. And yeah. this the scene plays out. You know, this this younger uh, you know character comes in, and mm-hmm. he's very he's he's like a wise old mentor to this young character. It's, he's very he's very very Yoda. He's right? very complimentary to him. He's very uh, kind. He offers advice. He encourages him. And you know he's a very nice character, and then but this character's there to tell him that he's you know the Superman's put a, a call saying that uh, there should be help given you know the United Planet should intervene and help Superman and Co mm-hmm. at War World, and he says oh that's a bit weird that he's going after Mongol now why is he doing it now, and he's like he's, he sort of speculates but he he ultimately says that the word that there's Philosians involved, yep. and this immediately makes this character this uh you know guy in the United Planets. He immediately starts yelling. He talks down to this character. He says, no one should ever hear that this message happened. Don't let anyone else hear it. Uh, and if you, you little wretch, speak a word of this, I will mm-hmm. basically kill you. <laughs> like he, he, Yeah, I'm going to... He, he said that um, all that's been given will be forfeit, and you will die in the same obscurity as your sound mother. And you're like, oh, man, what does what does Durlin or Durla, whatever their planet... What does that have to do with the Philogians in War World? Yeah. Because but, this is like a long, deep-seated issue. Like I say, apparently. the mention of the word Philosian turned this guy from seemingly like a really nice mentor figure who's very kind and considerate 
into a complete and utter dickhead. Uh, yep. And like if the flip happens immediately. He doesn't even like try to just like downplay it or like sort of convince him that Salosian's like a a made up word. He just mm-hmm. reacts like this immediately. Yep. So. Okay, we're building some bigger things here and what the Talosians mean to the greater world and maybe some history they share with other characters. Maybe this is a shame thing where the Durlins, like, they're partly responsible maybe for the fact that they've been, you know, in their history and this is like a secret he wants to have kept up. He wants to keep down there because it feels like, to me, reading the whole issue, Warworld feels like something that the greater galaxy has allowed to happen as long as... It doesn't bother them. So almost like, yeah, you can take these smaller, like it's like an appeasement scheme. Um, mm. World War Two, right? Yeah. Nazi Germany, take the Czech Republic and the Sudetenland, just leave us alone. And that only can go so far. Right. And that's I was getting those vibes from that scene there. Like this was a thing like clearly they've been dealing with Mongol for generations at this point and the different iterations of him. Yeah, Mongol who was, Mongol who is. Right, and just, and now it's coming back to bite them because Superman is not going to let it go, right? Like these these branch-off Kryptonians came to him for help, and Superman doesn't care about these old peace treaties or whatever. Uh, He's going to go do what he needs to. Um, Also, I had now realized, and it's been however many months that we were introduced to the word Warzone, that's the name for people from Warworld? And I was like, oh, damn. I thought it was just, like, Mongols' band of people, but <laughs> when we get to Warworld and we see, like, it is an actual world with different groups all fighting for Mongols, like, for for Mongols' blessing, and you're just like, oh, man, this is much more layered than I've ever read any Mongol story. Yeah. So obviously we have Superman and the Authority traveling towards Warworld, mm-hmm. and when we get there, uh, like immediately, like obviously it looks horrific, and they notice on the outskirts of an orbit there's like dead bodies mm-hmm. that have been chained up as like a, you know, as a fear mongering tactic. Yeah, this warning, uh, presumably against their own slaves to not rebel, for outsiders mm-hmm. to not interfere. Either way, like it's just horrific, and when they land down on the on the ship like well first of all actually there's a a character projected the character who he saw mm-hmm. uh in the the war world meeting room back in that issue of action yep. comics um i was like yeah so this guy sounds like you know he talks you know, he talks like a villain let's be honest right <laughs> he's very he ominous. talks like a bad guy yeah <laughs> yeah it's midnighter um uh. so it basically saying she stay away and uh too late for thulan or companions um Yes, but it basically points his way in, and mm-hmm. Superman like looks down, and there's basically a track of Thalosians who are on pikes, who are all you know dead and just they're, they're up in display, and it's this horrific visual. And the art here is really good because uh, Superman's face, the shocked face as he looks over, uh, yeah. and just sees all these dead bodies, and, and a lot of them have like the Superman emblem, like mm-hmm. either cut into their chest or, or the branded, paint, or branded, yeah, like it. And it was just that close-up panel of Superman shedding a tear. It's really dark stuff. So th- th- this is not pulling punches, this story. This is this is portraying Mongol and Warworld as this horrific place. 
Yeah, because up to this point, my familiarity with Mongol had been the for the man who has everything, which is one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, with the the Black Mercy plant and him trying to steal. You know, he's almost like a third-rate Thanos at certain points. And then he destroys Coast City in Death of Superman, um, or post-Death of Superman. Uh, and uh, World was kind of like a gladiatorial planet. Like, it wasn't like this wretched hellscape. It was like this Rome brought to life on a spaceship. And, you know, yeah, there were slaves, but they were gladiatorial combatants. And this takes it to a whole new level. Like... He just committed genocide on this group, this, on the the Thelosians, Thelosians, just to prove a point to Superman. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, this may not be all of them. I suspect there still may be some left, but... Maybe, but this is a good number of them that he yeah, you know, basically I, murdered to prove a point. Honestly, though, like I would not be surprised if this is the story that makes Mongo an A-list villain. Uh-huh. This... Because it's going to give him depth, it's going to give him this ominous presence. Um, he may never get the adaptation quite as much because I think he's he's just he's, just, he's too much like Dark Side visually. Yeah. That I don't think yeah. he's ever going to get the 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 adaptation on mm-hmm. the big screen or anything like that. But you know what? That that said, with all these different Mongols, though, there is a way to do him differently that he doesn't have to be this big hulking, you know, mass, right? Like you can, you can definitely do like a Roman emperor kind of alien Mongol, and he still is deadly. You know, Superman's not this big hulking yeah, mess. Like... There was a moment actually uh, when Superman was like, f- flew out to deal with the the, the body that was on mm-hmm. display. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a nice little moment where some of the other characters in the Authority are talking about how uh, how kind and like caring Superman is, and like one of them is yeah. like, "Oh, I don't get this. Like, how how can he possibly care for people this much?" And the other one, um, maybe it's a uh, uh, Light Ray or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, "Oh, but I would like to. I'd like to feel yeah. that." Uh, so I don't know, it's, it's interesting to watch maybe how he may inspire some of these other characters as well that are even on the team with them. Uh, but they they get to some bad guys uh, next to a statue of Mongol and they let rip. Um, it's only one page, like, and I'm I'm well, it's one two page spread, I should say. Uh, but I, I I was worried that it was going to just feel like a generic action scene. I'm so glad that it was just done and over. And it, the whole point of it was that Superman takes the head of this Mongol statue smashes it into the middle of the uh, the arena mm-hmm. and just as a statement you know if, if mongol's going to put out these dead bodies he's going to take the statue the, you know, the head of mongol it's, from the statue and, and again it plays in with like what you see in in history of when you know a you know a force goes to liberate another place and they knock down the statues as as a symbolic this is done here oh for sure you yeah know? And, and Superman, just, yeah. he, even when he like he comes into the arena and he starts talking to the crowd, um, mm-hmm. he says, you know, you've been taught that this is all about strength and honor. You've been taught that these chains are a mark of pride. No, this is slavery, and mm-hmm. Mongol is your slaver. And he says that I don't expect that one speech is going to make you realize that you've you know been a victim this whole time, and like sort of break you out of what you've been taught since you were young, if not your entire life, but. When this is over, I'm here to help you. I'm going to help you, and it's you know, it's this really it's a really encouraging speech, and it's kind of like this. But this acknowledgement that a lot of them aren't going to trust him at first is is kind of like realistic. Um, yeah. it's just, it was a really nice touch. But then we get the uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Chetel. Uh, yeah, Chetel. Which you know, uh, uh, another there's another real world thing is that you know when they talk about slavery, 
when they bring it up during you know the American history, they they call it chattel slavery. So it can't be, you know, not on purpose. That's what this guy's name is, right? This this version of Mongol is it's close to chattel because we're doing the whole, you know, oppressor type thing. Yeah, but he 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 comes out. He's the one that's missing like most of his limbs. He's only got one arm, mm-hmm. and. He's- all bound in all these chains, right? Yeah, like, he says he has the most chains because he's been here the longest. You know, he killed everyone in his generation. Yep. Uh, which is why he's in such bad shape. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I think it's Manchester Black who gets cocky and says, oh, you came out here alone. He's like, no, I'm not alone. And out walks uh, Mongols at closest, like, comrades. Which one of them, by the way, <laughs> the, the lady with the the... the Who's in like, huh? sort of the the fur like dress and she's got like the helmet thing yeah. on? She straight yeah. up like a cenobite. I was getting cenobite vibes from this chick. <laughs> well, that's Hellraiser, right? Cenobites. Yes. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, so you get this, you know, ones that like I don't know the names of some of these characters, but uh, they're an impressive variety of uh, villains to face. Um, and it walks Mongol. Well, I say walks. He lands in a his big beast. <laughs> Uh, well, and this is after the one called Mother, who's the the Cenobite looking one, like hits Superman with this this like. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was I, I was about to get. I was just going to mention gotcha. Mongol showing up, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Gotcha. So the, the big story be here is that basically Manchester Black and Enchantress have been using illusions and trickery to make people think that Superman's still at the same power levels that he has been. Uh, but in actual fact, he is losing his powers and he's not as strong. And Mongol and Co know this, so right. they are like excited to deal with him because he's not the Superman that they, otherwise would have to fight them. Right. They they bring up the energy blast that basically Superman has radiation poisoning from that in the first Philip Kenny Johnson issues. Yeah, that we saw which, him and John dealing with. Which they point out in the editor's note here mm-hmm. that this same plot beat happened to him in Superman twenty nine, the original Superman twenty nine, in the Golden Age. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the fact that it's actually comics one one thousand twenty nine is just a yeah. coincidence, but it's a neat one anyway. Maybe I mean Philip Kennedy Johnson loves Superman. Yeah, like, we, you get that from the writing here. So, um, and then it just completely, you know, in the as I talked about the authority last issue where you couldn't, I couldn't get a beat on where the Morrison stuff happens. Then Philip Kennedy Johnson drops this that, Oh no, Superman's been fighting radiation poisoning. He is getting weaker and everything that happened in that Superman, the authority Morrison comes into play here. And it's just like, man, I I can't uh, keep up with this. But the beauty of this is, is that I didn't finish reading that and it doesn't matter because it's very easy to understand. You don't have to, but (laughs) right. But for someone like me that was picking it up going, oh, well, the authority, the only reason I kept finishing was like the authority was going to go to war world with them. So I was like, maybe this is going to inform that. It ends up being on the same level of this weakened Superman that is using the authority, not as a crutch, but as, as his team, like the actual purpose, like to help him, do this um and here it's shown he's got the the gray streak all our kingdom come all right this is after um, he gets blasted by uh yeah thingy yeah mm-hmm. uh but but yeah and we also he had that gray streak in the future state stuff well right? which, is, which is probably why that that's what it is it's to right. make it sync and, up with that you know and just yeah 
Uh, we get him facing down the Mongol who is, and I'm just... Who, boy. Yeah, that's the end thing, is Mongol comes in um, and is ready to fight him, seemingly. And that that's the... You know, it, it, it's a solid first issue to this arc. Mm-hmm. It, it puts Superman in a very perilous place. And it sets us off in a dark tone, and it really gives us like a dark world for him to like have to fight through and inspire. Mm-hmm. I suspect the first chunk of this story is going to be pretty miserable, uh, you know, in, in, a, yeah. in a sense that we're going to set up all the things that he has to overcome. So we're going to yeah, see him at his worst. Yeah, are going to put him through the ringer, you know, where we, and so he can overcome the odds and you know do what Superman does and still hope in this place that's never known it, right? Because that's also the the thing is. They have he has to instill hope in Warworld when they don't know what that is, right? They've been led to believe that their chains are strength, and that we've already seen how he tried to do this just one of the Philosians without law, yeah. right? And it how much that kind of backfired. How is he going to do it here? Um, it, I, mean, I just want to go back real quick to the, the the scene where he he comes in um, and sees all of the you know. The, the Philosians on the pikes and stuff, and and he cries, right? Superman has a tear. That the 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 guy in the cloak, um, as he is talking, is talking about how Superman can't be strong because he's he's not a warrior, right? He doesn't know what it's like to kill somebody, and that that's how War World determines strength. Is like they say on War World that each person you kill. You basically take their their soul and it adds to you, and that for Superman he's he's weak here because he doesn't have any of that backing him up, and it just kind of shows you the psychology of War World at play here too, that he, the odds are even backed up there, you know, just where it's at from when he arrives, and that that's what that um, saying that they have is, is follow the dead. Um, that the that those words um, carry weight here. That if you seek Mongol, you follow the dead, and it's just like, man, this is a hopeless case for the ultimate hope instiller, and it's just really, really great storytelling. It's basically just an alien version of Shawshank Redemption. He's added the friend. Yeah. So, so are we gonna get the the um, Rita Hayworth poster corollary here? Yes. Yes. Okay. I wonder what that's gonna be then. He's, he's going to have a a hologram of some sexy alien lady. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But yeah, but yeah, let's just like you said, it it feels like it's going to be miserable. Which we're I'm not as a Superman fan. I like the stories that tend to be more hopeful. But you got to start at this level to show you, you know, they this you know, Sam Pierre oh, yeah. and Johnson have both showed us the depths of war world when right? i say miserable i mean it in the best possible way i, I yeah. mean miserable and the like it has to be dark so that mm-hmm. when he eventually wins and he eventually inspires some hope or he eventually takes down mongol whatever those beats are going to be and however they're going to play out like this sad oppressed world that he's getting into that doesn't have like even a basis for hope because at least earth when he became superman mm-hmm. like the concept of hope wasn't alien maybe we forgot how to like you know in, right. uh, embrace it maybe we forgot how to like treat it or think about it but the concepts weren't alien to us we understood it um right this is like something that is so this, this is more like him landing in a very oppressive time in history where everyone is so uh 
like because because even some of the worst times in history there's still a sense that there were there were people trying mm-hmm. to fight back there were uprisings there right. were secret groups trying to form rebellions whatever it may be this is a this is a place where seemingly there is no rebellion no one even has the the inspiration to form one no because when they do right it's like Falah and then she gets punished for it right yeah so, so. Uh, yeah man it's so good like i'm i was already excited for this and then i got through this issue this morning and was like i need more right now like why isn't this double shipping like i don't want it to hurt the quality but like give me more in two weeks please so to to quote Shawshank Redemption, fear will keep you prisoner, hope will set you free. Uh, you living you, and get busy dying. Well, it's also quoting Shawshank, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you giving Action Comics 1036? I'm going to give this a 9.5. <laughs> uh, I am giving it my third 9 of the week. There it's, you go. I've had three 9s this week. I, you know what? Good week. Go. I can't, can't deny that it's a high quality week. So there you go. That's Action Comics one thousand thirty six. I take it you didn't meet read the messy uh uh <laughs> backup. Oh God, no, no. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay. Well, I, I won't even touch on it because I did not like it that much. Um, I in fact I forgot <laughs> what was going on, um, from the last one that I read. So, yeah, it's uh, no, not the best. Okay. Uh, next up. Joker issue nine. This is actually a Patreon book. Every month on patreon.com slash TV. Uh, one of the higher tiers, you can make myself a corner read a book. And one patron is uh, keeping me on the Joker series. So this is issue nine, which did come out this week. And last issue ended with uh, Female Bane, or Lady Bane, uh, who's officially getting called Vengeance now, as a name. Uh, she said, hey, you, you can't pull the trigger, Garden, so let me be your instrument you know you you help me with your smarts and your feelings and i will be the one who kills the joker so they're on their way to a place where she's tracked him down to um and there's a lot of monologuing you know internally from gordon about uh his past with joker about you know going down this dark path like being tempted to pull out the phone that he was given by barbara to like call her uh, there's some stuff with barbara separately with julia investigating santa prisca and you know, the, the the military contacts that may have been involved in creating Bane and even selling the weapon to Joker that uh killed helped kill Jason, you know, the uh the the the, the bomb. Uh, so what's actually really funny about this is that there's actually a lot of like referencing of old stories because when she's talking about her past with Joker, she references killing joke, uh and she also references cataclysm. Uh or sorry uh, Gordon does because Gordon's thinking about his daughter, and then he's thinking about Sarah Essen being killed in Cataclysm. Um, if you don't remember that, but that was you know his second wife, big deal. Um, which one was Cataclysm? Was that the post No Man's Land? No, pre. That, that was the earthquake pre. itself. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it references these, and then it references you know death in the family with the the connection to like you know someone sold Joker a because because they find a file that says something like uh sold a super villain in america uh you know a missile and it's like shit <laughs> like that rings a bell um so basically they're at this place this big mansion uh vengeance and garden and they go in and there's a bunch of dead henchmen lying around and joker's sitting at a table with a dude and this guy turns out to be this like hotshot scientist who's part of the network 
this secret organization that does all these safe houses for for villains and things and this is the one that, that actually made vengeance and he turns her down he's he's, he's got like a code word kind of like uh river and serenity which was obviously okay. uh from the same creator as the head television show but for the vampire slayer uh, man, that's a reference that hasn't been made in a while it's been a while yeah um so she just kind of goes to sleep and he kind of says okay that's only going to work once she'll be back up in like five minutes so and joker joker's sitting this is the first time joker's been face to face with gordon in a few issues it's only happened once really uh at the end of like issue three or whatever it was but um we get a lot of the stuff here. The, the scientist explains a bunch of things. Uh, talks about, um, you know, uh, like he's willing to just like sort of tell him everything that's going on because he's so important and he's like, he's had like dinner with like princes and presidents and like from every country in the world. Like he, he's so ingrained, like, and he knows so much stuff that if he ever is taken in by any authorities, like, they'll find a way to kill him as quickly as possible so that he can't tell anyone anything. So he's got nothing to really bother, like, holding back when he's, like, telling stuff. So they go down to the secret lab, and basically what he's been doing is that he has designed a way to clone, like, people, and specifically villains. And it's a way for them to cheat death or get out of prison. The idea being that he'll create a clone that'll instantly die, so that they can swap out, like, someone who's in, like, say, a prison with a clone of them that's dead, so that the authorities think they're dead, which feels like it's going to be a way to explain a death or two down the line. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a few dead villains right now that maybe they're going to explain by having, like, a, a dead clone in there. Also, I'm trying not to spoil a movie that's close to 20 years old, but also very similar sure, to, sure. To, to, to another one. Um, but... So they, they go down to this lab and there's all these test tubes with like half like deformed clones in it and like various bodies of just like being around. So it's this, this you know, high service and, and Garden's like, why are you telling me this? Because like, yeah, I have no reason to lie. There's no point. Um, it talks about how much of a big shot he is. Uh, but, you know, and Joker's like, you know, hot dogging around as, as he does. Um, so, yeah, like, it basically, it turns out that because of whatever happened to the Joker when he was, um, you know, turned into the Joker and when his skin was changed and he fell into the vat of chemicals, it basically changed them enough that he is impossible to clone. But this guy has been trying. And we get basically a room of oh, test no. tubes of Jokers. And it's like, it's just like that scene in Alien Resurrection when Ripley finds all the failed attempts. I was- to that's what Ripley. I was going to ask. Does yeah. it feel like Alien Resurrection? Which might it's, be the only time that's been asked. It's kind of like that. It's a little bit like that. And Garn's like freaking out, like you were trying to make a clone of yourself. Um, and Joker's like, "Hey, I can start an improv team. We can start a podcast. Like more of me's a great idea." <laughs> but he's like, "No, nah, it's not me. I didn't do this. Uh, I didn't want this. They did." So, um. The scientist, like, it's just it was just a challenge because it seemed impossible. Like I, I had to try and crack it, and Gordon's like, "But who wanted another one of him? Um, like, wh- why would there be a desire for more of Joker? Like, this is insane." And Gordon's like holding a gun to his head, and he's really, he's like, you know, there's like close up panels on the gun, and his finger on the trigger. Like he really is thinking about doing it. 
And this is not a joker, this is this is a scientist. Like he, he's so like horrified by the idea that someone might want to kill him. Or want to clone the Joker, sorry. That like he, he can't even but he's like, yeah, like you know what? This is and so he explains the idea is that the network, right, who all the villains have ties to that they go to for to be hidden and things, like this network wants even more control. So the idea that they could replace the supervillains with their own versions that they can control because they designed them, because he calls them designer supervillains, is super tempting. Like, we could, like, wreak chaos. We could test out villains by sending them to Gotham, because Gotham has got so many villains that it's kind of a playground, like, to just go test, test different villains against Batman. And it's like, this is, like, nefarious shit. The idea of, like, taking Joker and turning him criminal. Like, the one thing, the one good thing you can say about Joker is that he is himself. He is the Joker, mm-hmm. he is truly unique, and he is his own monster, and he is his own free spirit, if you will. But they want to turn them into their own Big Mac version of the Joker, where they can control the Joker, and and basically use his chaos as a tool to create anarchy only when they want anarchy to happen, so they can drive and influence certain decisions. That's not, yeah. That, that's not how chaos works. You don't get to control chaos. Right? Yeah. Like, but that's what they're trying. That's, that's the, that's the no, I know. But I just like even Alexander Luther knew you can't do that, which is why he left Joker out of the Infinite Crisis plans. Mm. You know, uh, like he Joker does not play well with others. But as they're having this conversation, uh, the woman from the Texas Chainsaw family <laughs> who's been hunting Joker throws a knife. She shows up. She throws a knife at the scientist in the neck, stabs him to shit. So he dies. Uh, the the big guy from the family sort of has Joker by the by the throat and injects him with some uh some stuff um some yeah, i think it's just to knock him out more than anything and then she throws a throwing dagger at gordon so he so he's got a, a dagger in his chest and he passes out as these two are taking joker away uh in fact one of the things they mentioned during the issue as well actually is that there's a lot of rich people who have developed a taste for human flesh there's a lot of cannibals in high society oh so part part of what the scientist does is because he can clone people is he basically just makes human meat that they can sell at like there's like secret items on like really posh restaurants if you want human meat you can get it it's like the opposite of beyond meat <laughs> right um, like but the reason why i thought of that there is though is because as they're leaving the uh the daughter from the texas chainsaw family says yeah you know, my daddy always said we could taste the difference with your, like, produced, like, human meat. Like, you, you couldn't taste the fear of the person who died. You have to hunt Ugh. the people to get the good taste. <laughs> like, Tynan, buddy, I... <laughs> Where's this coming from, dude? <laughs> yeah, this, this went, like, super, like, like, mad scientist horror movie stuff, this issue. It was really quite every, interesting. Every issue you talk about and I'm listening to makes me want to read this book more because it seems like it's got getting better. Like the first two didn't seem like that, but now we have we have, we have have the Lady Bane clone that's basically X-23, and then we got cannibals on eating cloned human meat. It's like, this is a bat book? <laughs> <laughs> this makes no sense, and I love it. And Gordon sort of passes out, but he wakes up when a uh, vengeance Lady Bane comes in, uh, and he's like, "Where is he? Where is he?" <laughs> like he's just she's pissed. Just uh, <laughs> basically Christian Bale's Batman now. Yeah, and she's like, "Sorry, Gordon, I didn't want you to die," and she leaves him for dead because he's got the dagger sticking out of him. So, so Gordon gets his phone out. He's able to tap and call Oracle, and Oracle is basically just 
doesn't realize that he's in pain and just starts saying, you know, Dad, is that you? I'm just, you know, I'm glad you, you know, we did some blood tests, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she doesn't realize that he's lying there with the phone kind of like, you know, so the last panel is the phone kind of coming out of his hand as if, you know, obviously he's not dead, but they're kind of teasing us that he could be dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the end of the issue. But the big, the big reveal on the last page, though, is when it comes back to Oracle, the blood she tested, what she's talking about on the phone, um, whoever's attacking them, like, this is personal. They're, 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 they're trying to push their, their buttons. But remember, remember, it was an issue or two ago, a Talon attacked Barbara in mm-hmm. the, uh, the clock tower. Yeah. She did some uh, tests on the blood that was left behind, and she knows who that corpse is. Would you mm. care to guess who the dead person is that the Talon might be? It's not Gordon, is it? What do you mean? Like they didn't clone Gordon and then. No, 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 it's not close. It's someone who did die. It is. Okay. Someone who died. Oh. I would need a full list because I can't remember who all died. (laughs) So I remember it was Bane and Man Bat, which those two have come up in in Task Force Z. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't remember who else died. Just give it to me. James Gordon Jr. Ah, it's JJ. Mm hmm. So, yeah, this is, like, specific to them. They're coming... So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff in this issue. The the mythology of this book and this network and all the shady shit they're up to is kind of insane. Uh, kind of digging it. Uh, different artists on this issue as well, which was a pleasant surprise. Now, I don't think the art's great, but it's better than March. It's not March. It's not March, a... yeah. I uh, feel like that's a Mild Fuzz exclusive rating. Is, <laughs> there's March or not March. If you're not March, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so Stefano Raphael's the artist uh, yeah. on this book, and I do I do feel it's a little flat at times, but I mean I'll take that over uh, the scratchiness and extra over the top line work of uh, March. of March. So you know it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, I, you know story wise though, I, I kind of want to get stretch this to the eight. I kind of loved I loved the mad science stuff of this issue. I was kind of into yeah. it. Uh, I, I do have to mention the backup. I won't say much about it, but the girl that got out of prison last issue who was friends with uh, Punchline in high school basically talks about how back in high school she had a yearbook and she had circled a lot of like faces and a lot of people, all the people she circled other than herself has turned up dead uh, recently uh, through the, the various stuff that's uh, going on. Good. So... She's scared to testify, but they don't have the yearbook anymore because it burned in the fire that happened several issues ago. So they're trying to get her to testify, but she's she's too nervous to. Uh, and then the final thing is that uh, Punchline has got Orca on a hospital bed in the prison and is like injecting her with something, uh, knowing that she betrayed her. And so it's kind of menacing and just this kind of villainous ending. Um, but I mean, the backup's okay. It's whatever. Like I I I, I get through it. It's like eight pages. I don't feel much for it. Um. You know, like I, I think the entire story would probably work as better as like an annual size one shot that it does as the you know however many eight page yeah. chapters we're getting, but yeah. it is what it is. Uh, so back backups like I don't know like a six or something like that. Yeah, nothing terrible, but nothing great either. So that's Joker issue uh, issue nine. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. So cool. Um. And I do have another Patreon book, Animal Man, issue 13. This is actually from last month. I, I had to delay this a couple of times. So you'll have, you have 14 relatively soon. But uh, yeah. issue 13 of Animal Man. So last issue, 
Uh, the aliens were there. We had the meta, like, undoing of the villain that was chasing them, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this issue is kind of a fresh start. Animal Man's still in Africa. Uh, and he runs into Buana Beast at the airport. <laughs> as you do. As you do. Uh, but he's not, he's not in costume, though. He's just, you know, he says his name's Maxwell. Mike Maxwell is his name. And mm-hmm. uh, they're having, like, you know, coffee and they're kind of reminiscing about like oh, all that crazy stuff we went through last year uh because keep in mind this is issue 13, 13. so it would have been a year since that first right. arc give or take so that makes sense um but basically we find out that uh maxwell is looking for his successor you know it's time to pass on the torch to a new beast and he mentions that he's actually only the second white buana beast like you know every other you know beast has been black and there's a lot of stuff in this. There's a lot of political stuff, you know, there's a lot of South African stuff in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue actually doesn't start with that. It starts with, like, news reports of, like, uh, basically the, the news are saying that, you know, the police are, like, dealing with, like, protests and stuff, and they're claiming that there's no violence and everything's peaceful, but you see, like, these black and white panels of police beating up protesters, uh, of being excessive with force, of actually outright shooting some people. So stuff that's sadly all still too relevant and really mm-hmm. dark and it's like okay so this is a super political issue they're really delving into this stuff and we have this search for the new beast and uh Man basically just decides to come along with them so yeah you know what i want to see more of africa while i'm here i'll, I'll come and help you find this new guy uh whoever it may be uh so so that you know Ma- Maxwell's got like a safari hat on and some sunglasses and they're they're riding off in a jeep you know, so they're all happy uh, and they go to like, this cave where the, the, he- the beast helmet is and he's got the, the, the serum which makes him like super strong and uh, whatever right so it's like okay we have to like find whoever this new guy is so he does like a ritual with the fire and he sees it in the smoke and stuff and it's, you know, it's, it's all fun and we actually cut to who this guy's going to be um so it's this guy named Dominic, and it turns out he's actually like a, you know, he, he's got like a, a roll of film that he's trying to give to an American journalist to take back and develop, uh, to like expose what's going on in South Africa to people. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's like an investigator, sort of like freedom fighter type character. So he's, he's like an know, activist. Yeah. So we're, so we're kind of promoting him as this kind of like noble guy with a good cause right away. Uh, so immediately he's kind of likable. Um, but he gets, like, picked up by police who attack him from behind, like, very quickly, and they throw him in a, in a cell, and, like, immediately this, like, this cop's, like, corrupt, he's, like, he's already beat him up, he's got, he's got a baton, and he's talking about, you know, shitting in his bucket, and, like, you know, if you happen to hang yourself by choice, he, he sets up a noose, it's, like, super dark. dark. Oh, yeah, super, 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 super dark. Um... But, uh, yeah, so it gets super vicious. And this is sort of intercutting with Animal Man and, and Buana Beast. Um, like, uh, Buana Beast, like, merges, because you know, obviously one of his powers is that he can merge two animals together. And okay. he, he makes, like, a... It's like a bird and a... I don't even know what this animal is, actually. What, what's a... It's like a... Like a deer, but with, like, two vertical... Like, like a pronghorn? Yeah. Or an antelope? A gazelle? Is it, it maybe it's probably a gazelle, probably a gazelle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> clearly my my uh, 
my animal kingdom knowledge is lacking a bit here. Yes, you're uh, you're not. Yeah, I I, I I could really be doing with some labels on all these animals that pop up in Animal Man. <laughs> it would help. And, and the sad thing is, I could probably look at them and know exactly what they are. Oh, probably. Um, uh, but he mixes but for- mixes that with a bird anyway, and so we get this like flying monstrosity. <laughs> Put a bird on it. Uh. Uh, and he, he rides into uh you know search so so yeah but so we, we go to this scene where the, the 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 cop is like beating the guy up he's using racial language on him and there's a word that he's using that i'm not familiar with i assume it's a word that's more specific to the region of south africa uh but you know so it, like it, this felt like a super dark story um uh there's, there's some setup here as well uh, with the the cop talking about uh, you know, his grandmother had this story of, about a unicorn, and it's basically just relevant because he talks about how the unicorn was this like, you know, like the the the, you know, the what do you call it? The it's a, it's a mythological beast, right? That represents uh, the horn. purity. Uh, and... No, I'm, I'm just trying to think of the word okay. horn. Oh. Right? <laughs> the oh, horn okay. is a weapon. I wasn't looking at you. Um... Uh, yeah, I was I doing this. I was doing, doing this for a reason, Matt. I was, I was yes, signaling. I know, but I wasn't looking there on the on the screen. <laughs> so, but that sets up for his demise later. Uh, <laughs> you'll be pleased to know. But Isle uh, Man, please, please say it's in a cabin in the woods style way. It, it very much is. Isle Man and uh, I should call him Maxwell rather than, than Buena Beast because he's about to pass yeah. the torch. But uh, they show up and like knock this this cop out, and they take they take him outside and. He tries to explain to him that you're you're now the you're going to be the new Buana Beast. And the guy and Dominic's like Buana Beast. That's a bit of an imperialist title. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to change that. Uh, uh, and he does when he when he puts on the helmet later. He says, "I'm just the beast now. Like I'm not I'm not Buana Beast." Um, nice. And he even like you know points out things he doesn't like. You know because like Max was like, "Hey, this helmet will help you control animals," and he's like. I don't think I'm cool with the word control. Like, you know, like, he, he, he starts pointing out all these things that doesn't quite yeah. like about the, this whole idea. Well, and I like that it's also Morrison subtly pointing this stuff out with these characters that were created in the 60s. Mm. You know, and this is 1989, right? Is this not still out? Or is it yeah, by this point? Yeah, it's late 80s. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so, like, just the fact that this is Morrison going like, hey, yeah, this is all kind of messed up. Why don't we try to rectify this a little bit like him just being called the beast yeah oh, yeah that's pretty cool and, and we hear a couple of times throughout this show that there's a there's going to be a big protest and they keep calling it an, an illegal gathering right so we have mm-hmm. this like site of like all, all these local characters protesting and the police are like there with the riot gear and they're saying this is an illegal gathering um return to your homes peacefully but then you also hear them turn around talking privately saying no we don't want this to actually dispel we want an excuse to like incite the the fight um so like you know super shady stuff it, 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 and Ma- it's actually maxwell who kind of like comes walking out in front of everyone in front of the crowd and says you know do, you if you fire on these people you fire on me and it'll be harder to explain you know the death of an american and he actually gets shot in the shoulder but the cop just doesn't like hesitate he goes you're pathetic and he fires at him and then the ground starts to crumble and some of the trucks start to fall on the ground it turns out uh, Animal Man pops out of the ground and he's like, how did I do? It, basically, he was doing some, like, mole-style powers and, like, making the ground, <laughs> like, you know, rumble and crack apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the leader of the of the, the movement who's like, been talking over the radio, like, the cop gets to him, because that, that was the whole goal of this, is he wanted to, like, find him and, 
uh, kill him to sort of stop this resistance. And but sure enough, uh, a unicorn effectively shows up. It's, it's basically as uh, a zebra mixed with something else. I, I don't even know what it's mixed <laughs> with, but it's mixed that with something. Fantastic! It's, it's got mi- a horn though. Yeah, it's got a horn. It's got like a unicorn steel horn, but it's it's, it's clearly a zebra that he's used as part of the mm-hmm. the mix. And sure enough, he gets impaled in the stomach, and we see the new guy, you know, Dominic, with the mask on and the little the little loincloth. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's this pass of the torch, it's this kind of, uh, like, you know, a, a more heroic version of the character who's going to stick up for these people. Um, and it, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, oh, what about that, that, that corrupt cop, Van Devoort? Did he die? Uh, Animal asks. And he goes, he died of a rare disease. And then the, the final panel of him in the mask is like, symbolism. <laughs> 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 I, I kind of made me laugh. I'm not gonna lie. At uh, the end of the no, story, it it's yeah. very tongue in cheek, right? Yeah, no, I love it. It's great. Uh, the last page is uh, the the, the politicians or whoever in South Africa are like, okay, we got that film mule though, right? Like that film mule never made it to the press, and he's like, yes, I took the camera off of myself. But when they look at the photos, it's just like family photos. Someone swapped the film, and the other panels on this page is Buddy walking into Daily Planet looking for Perry White because he's got a roll of film in his hand. He's like, hey, I've got something for Perry White. Oh, nice. So that's the, that's, that's the epilogue of this, the, this story. Really good issue. Like, it, it had a lot of political stuff. It had some good uh, messaging. It instantly made you like the new character quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Maxwell, as, as the previous Buana Beast, already seems more interesting because of this. And, you know, some, some good scenes. Uh, the art's been very consistent, of course. I really uh, dug it here as well. Um, so no, I I like I like this. I like Morrison tackling st- stuff like this, and this is exactly the sort of issue. Like anyone who says, "Oh, comics are too political nowadays," uh, like eighties. This is an eighties comic, all right. Every time people do that, I like to point them to the hard traveling heroes mm-hmm. with uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Um, also, like Superman was like, see, he started off fighting like drunk drivers and was uh. uh you know, the protector of, of like, the lower middle class. That's why Lex Luthor was a businessman scientist. It's like, it's always been there, guys. I, I just, like, yeah. just because you don't like it, doesn't mean it didn't exist. Yep, no, it's all, always there. So I just, you know, like to point that out once again. Uh, so, no, really good issue. Um, solid 8.5, really dug it. Uh, the run, at times, is weird. Like, there's no denying, sometimes the meta stuff gets a little on the weird side. I think this, though, was, uh, like, obviously it's a little bit meta when he says he get killed by symbolism, but other than that, mm-hmm. like, it's a very straight story that obviously has a lot of allusions to some real-world problems that it's, it's dealing with. Um, but no, dug it. So, uh, there you go. That's Animal Man issue 13. Uh, which will take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and top five, well, top five. Well, I actually, I read five. You read four. You had five. I had four. Yeah. But so know. we can we can rank. Uh, so what's your panel slash moment of the week? Um, it's gonna be from Action Comics. Um, basically, I could pick anything from here. Mm-hmm. But I'll. Uh, hmm. I want something not so dark. I'll go with with Superman dropping the the Mongol statue head sure, into sure. the into the arena and giving that speech of I know you don't know. You know who I am, but I stand for it. But I'm here to help. Yeah, I, really good... I, I'm a little conflicted because I part of me wants the tear from action, but mm-hmm. I also love mm-hmm. the moment that Batman and uh, 
and Wong yeah, come face to face in the smoke uh, when he's when he's still in the prisoner. A good one. Uh, I really dig that moment. Uh, and there's even maybe a couple of things in a like I, I think in Robin and Batman uh, when we first see Croc or we first see even Robin in the the, the outfit and the sewers. Really good moments. I think I'm going to pick the tear from Superman, but it is it was a tough choice. There's a, there's, a, there's actually some really yeah. cool moments in all, a lot of these books this week. Yeah, which is I nice. I want to put in a, a shout to Wonder Woman. Uh, there's a there's a scene where she's flying that you'd mentioned that's kind of drenched in gold. That yes. looks real nice. Like, yes, very good. Just like the cars art, I was just you know, I really enjoyed that, that image especially. Yeah. Um. All right, cool. Uh, best cover of the week. I'll just jump in because I, I have mm-hmm. one choice. It's an easy choice for me this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main cover is very good for Imposter, but that Behermo variant mm-hmm. is absolutely stunning. It is. It's uh, mm-hmm. Wong standing with the GCPD like out, you know jacket on, uh, with her back to the, the the reader. But there's like a just a city in front of her, but it's in the shape of like Batman. It's it's, it's so good. Uh, mm-hmm. Very beautiful stuff. What's your cover? I'm going with the Wonder Woman variant. It's by someone named TK. Um, and it's very, it reminds me... Tony Khan? Uh, Manipul. Tony Khan's been doing... I was going to make that joke and go, he's, he's saving wrestling, but also doing some great art. Um, but it's like <laughs> a soft, kind of watercolory look. Like there's a softness to it. And she's in like a, in a, like a laurel wreath, surrounded by doves. Um, and it's just, it's a very nice cover. Hmm. All right, uh, art of the week. Um, so this is a tough week because I liked all the art. Mm-hmm. However, Action Comics really moved me to the Sam Pierre art, uh, so I got to give it to him. Yeah, I got to go with Sorrentino. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. Wynn's great. Uh, Sam Pierre's great. Takara was very good, uh, mm-hmm. but Sorrentino's just like another level. So I have to go mm-hmm. with Sorrentino uh, for Imposter. All right, rank your books, Matt. Go. All right, so Action Comics, one, Robin, Batman, two, Batman, the Imposter, three, Wonder Woman, four. But those were all above. Those are all eights or above. So. Yes, yes. Good, good week. Uh, mm-hmm. I, oh, this is tough. I think I'm going to go with Imposter at number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'll go with Action. Number three, I'll go with Robin and Batman. Number four... Wonder Woman number five, Joker, but yeah, mm-hmm. I like not. Re- I didn't have a bad comic. Like some backups I ignored, sure, but like yeah, I, I did not have a bad comic. Like so, mm-hmm. uh, good week. Not a, not a heavy week, but a good week, and that's that's okay. Uh, which leads me to telling you what is going to be coming next week from DC Comics, Detective Comics, comics as uh, they're technically called. Uh, so <laughs> next week we have Batman one one seven. The conclusion to Fear State, so that's a big deal. Uh, we have Nightwing 86, The Flash 776, Justice League 69. We have <laughs> nice. nice House on the Lake issue 6, which is the final issue of that before it's break uh, for several yeah. months, so um, make sure you save for that one. Catwoman 37, Superman Son of Kal-El issue 5, Suicide Squad issue 9. Uh, Robin's issue one is next week, so that's a, a fun one to be starting. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, issue five. Green Lantern, issue eight. Legends of the Dark Knight, issue seven. Blue and Gold, issue four. Aquaman, The Becoming, issue three. Batman Secret Files, The Gardener, issue one. Batman v. Bigsby, A Wolf in Gotham, issue three. Suicide Squad, King Shark, issue three. Uh, Nubia in the Amazons, issue two. Refrigerator Full of Heads, issue two. 
Wonder Woman Evolution issue. What? What the hell is that? <laughs> and then Looney Tunes I'm looking it up right now. Um, it is definitely a busy week now. I mean, obviously there's some stuff that we're not reading, but it is definitely a much busier week next week than it has been the last couple. So I would suspect next week to be a meaty episode, guys. Uh, I'll tell Matt to brace himself for a longer recording. Um, yeah, a, well, it's, it's right before I go on vacation. So, you know, we'll get in, get out, get a, get on with it. But yeah, I just by my count for myself, I have 11 books. Whoa. And I can't, I can't justify cutting any of them except for Justice League. So... Don't be surprised, guys, if I... I mean, you, you've not been enjoying that book, Matt, so I... No, wouldn't... that's what I'm saying. Don't be surprised if we don't, because... Yeah. I'm not going to not read the Gardner book. I know I don't have to, but Ivy's on the cover. Yeah, I, like, I don't know if I care about the Gardner book, but there's no way I'm not reading Refrigerator Full of Heads. There's no way right. I'm not reading, you know, all the main books. Like, I mean, the one that I obviously liked the least last time from this week was Green Lantern, but I still want to mm-hmm. give it another shot. I want to know where it's going to go, because yeah. I do... I'm enjoying the, the Joe... Yeah. Story more than anything. And I so. want to try Robins for sure. It's such a mm-hmm. good idea for a book that I need to yeah. try it. So and that's Seely, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, Seely. I enjoyed Seely on Grayson. So, so we're, yeah. We're yeah, busy week, busy week. But hey, mm-hmm. you know what happens from time to time. Just got to deal with it. And that shit, Connor did claim that he would be back next week. So uh, yeah, but he's gonna have like four months worth of comics to read. So <laughs> true. And we all know why he wasn't here today. The new Taylor Swift uh, re-release dropped. And he's he's out there listening to he's it. He's a felty uh, Taylor Swift fan, yeah. We, he we, he is. This, yes. so, uh, um, but yeah, he's out there stuffing uh, corpses into bins, into trash cans. Um, what? <laughs> that that is a weird. That is a that is a weird plug for my top 10 rotten movies video over in Male Fuzz Movies. Uh, I made a joke okay, which will I'm make sure that... sure it was an evil ginger. Which will make that reference make sense. I promise. Oh, there you go. But you gotta go find out for yourself. I'm not explaining it here. Uh, so that is... Uh, that is the show. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. Thank you to Tyler Hess and the Palisades, David Sharp, Borden now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, you can, of Excelsior. course, support us for as little as a dollar per month at patreon.com slash TV. And gets the bonuses at the five dollar tier. You get early access to the show by a day. Uh, you get a producer credit at the twenty dollar tier, of course, um, and so on and so on. So go and have a look, see if you're interested in any of that, and help keep keeping all the content coming and supporting the show. Um, and of course, you know, I, I plugged the video a couple of times, but yeah, we do have uh, other reviews um, on Mail Fuzz TV and Mail Fuzz Movies if you're interested in that kind of thing. So go and have a look. Uh, if you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, ding the bell for notifications. All those things do help. If you listen to the audio podcast version, do rate us five stars and give us a review on iTunes or Podcast Addict, wherever you get podcasts from. And you can finally, you can get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast and sharing us out on social media and telling all of your comic-loving friends is probably also something you can do that helps us out a lot. Mm-hmm. So all of that is very good. But I am very hungry, so I am going to take this time to say thank you very much once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Uh, feel free to go and harass Connor on Twitter at ConorRyan94. Go and tell him he is the worst uh, for missing yeah. the show. Um, and, you know, he threatened to block me this week because I sent him a photo from uh, the Chucky TV show where Chucky's got a bunch of syringes sticking out of him. And he's like, That's, You know what, though? You know how needle phobic he is. That is kind of messed up, man. That's Joker level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd like to make the uh, jury aware. The, the defendant shows no remorse <laughs> for his actions. 
<laughs> no remorse. What's the opposite of remorse? Because <laughs> that's what I feel right now. <laughs> glee? Glee. I, I feel the glee. And I am so excited for round two. Uh, but yes, thank you once again for watching LSA. We always appreciate it. Keep watching. Or watching. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.